It's hurricane season. Flood insurance can help you avoid paying out of pocket for costly damage. It's time to trust your instincts. Get flood insurance and protect the life you've built. Visit floodsmart.gov. All right, that started, and uh, Jazzy Small, welcome back. Uh, Science Bob, thank you so much for that super chat, my friend. We really do appreciate it, and uh, we're going to get rocking and rolling here in about 45 seconds. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest tonight, Member of Parliament Larry McGuire here from the Conservative Party of Canada, and uh, his uh, riding out of Brandon Surris, Manitoba. We love having him here. Avi M., nice to have you here. Northern Alabama Cryptid, nice to see you. Thank you for coming. Oh, Ken, you're in Coquitlam. Oh, you're nice and close. You're within driving distance. Uncle Dale and his power stash are here. Remember, if you see Uncle Dale in Austin, Texas, rub his power stash for good luck right through July 4th. And uh, we got about 10 seconds here, people. We're going to get this thing going. It is a huge night here on Spaced Out Radio. Hour one, Larry McGuire, and then a panel breaking everything down in hour two. Mark Ellens, how you doing? Horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We are doing things a little bit different tonight from our normal format. Tonight, we get our first deep look into UFOs and their existence in Canadian airspace. With most of the focus in the United States, Conservative Party member and a member of Parliament, the Honorable Larry McGuire, has taken the lead into introducing UAP to the Canadian government and the citizens at large. Tonight, we are going to take a serious look at UFOs over Canada. Where are the reports going? Are Canada's nuclear energy facilities being affected by this phenomena? Are other politicians and political parties on board for studying this subject? We have Mr. McGuire for the first hour of this show. Then, in hour number two, we will be joined by some experts in the UFO field who are closely following the Canadian government regarding UAP to break it down for the next couple of hours. So let's get right to it. Member of Parliament for Brandon Souris in Manitoba, Mr. Larry McGuire, thank you so much for coming on into Spaced Out Radio. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to be here, Dave. Uh, You've obviously got Spaced Out Radio going well. Um, You know, your slogan, we own the night. 
uh, I'm looking forward to uh, your interview and uh, the opportunity to provide a little bit more information for your guests. Uh, I was going to say when you're doing the intro there, you know, this isn't just a national or an in, or a North American show. You've got guy, folks on here from, as I, as I was listening and your intro, Australia and England. So, I mean, this is a pretty international event. It really is, and, and it really goes to show how important this topic is, not only in North America, but worldwide. I mean, Larry, I want to start with you right off the bat. You're a good old farm boy from the province of Manitoba. Manitoba is close to me. My, right. mo- my mother is born in Manitoba, and a, a good, healthy Mennonite lady who is, you know, uh, hanging on out, but but now living in B.C. But I want to ask you, did you ever think after 20 plus years in politics that you'd be the UFO guy? You got to be kidding. <laughs> no, I never gave that a thought uh, until about five years ago. I got interested in a front page news, New York times article in 2017 that talked about UAFs, UAPs on the, on the front page. So, um, uh, you know, I, as I said earlier, I've, Harvested a lot of nighttime harvesting hours and uh, seen a lot of stars. But uh, out in southwest Manitoba, I must admit I may have seen a few shooting stars, but nothing that I would identify as a, a, a you know an unidentified aerial phenomena. But um, after what I've seen uh, in reports from the U.S. It's, uh, and, and that article that I first saw then, uh, and having heard about them all my life, uh, you, you get we got pretty interested in it. Why take this step? Why was this important for you over the last few years to try and get to this point where you felt it was necessary about a month and a half ago now to bring it in front of one of your standing committees on nuclear energy? Well, we've been a few of us here have been following the uh, happenings in the United States, I guess, with all of this. Um, we've been interviewed with a few that we'll get into later, but uh, it's important, I think, that the United States isn't the one tackling this by themselves. We are these these items, as your listeners are here, they're everywhere, and so they don't honor borders. They they can be anywhere, uh, and we don't know what they are. And I think it's very important that the objective here should be to have an unbiased group to find out what the intent and the objective of these uh, items are. When you started getting interested in this topic, how did you decide over time that you were going to get not only members of your uh, Conservative Party of Canada in on this subject, but to try and bring this subject to the forefront of Parliament Hill? Yeah, well, it takes some time. You've got to talk to a lot of people. There's a lot of stigma attached to this in uh, many years in the past. Uh, but when people like uh, top military leaders come out in the United States and start talking about these things publicly, about having reports done by Congress, passing legislation, we can get into that later too, uh, you know, to, uh, to bring this to the forefront of the American public, uh, but particularly even, those are unclassified, but even classified reports to the to Congress itself, uh, I think that was really led me to believe that there's uh, more to this than fiction, and uh, we need to be able to uh, be a part of that here in Canada as well. We know that our defense minister was briefed on it a year ago, and and uh, we I think it should be more public here as well, in a particular unbiased manner. Now, when you get into a topic like this, I mean, you have to go through the little green men and the X-Files and Twilight Zone, uh, people teasing you and everything like that. How much torment did you get before people started taking you seriously? I guess E.T. was pretty popular, too. But anyway, no, I, uh, um, 
I've had uh, really no skepticism uh, because people are following the uh, uh, happenings in the United States. I mean, we just, on the 17th of May here, we had a congressional hearing. First one on this topic in 50 years, Dave. That shows how much more acceptable it is to to hear it. Um, you know, they said they had something like 144 sightings, and now all of a sudden we've it's up to 400. So is that because um, they're not as afraid to, to talk about it anymore? Or is it just that, you know, we've got better tracking mechanism and we can see more? I, I, I think there's a little bit of both maybe, but uh, that's just uh, where we're at today. On a personal level, why is this topic important to you? Does it scare you? Because this does affect 7.8 billion people on this world? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I'm not afraid of it. Uh, I mean, if I hadn't have done anything with it, they would still be there and somebody else would have had to pick it up. I, I guess I'm looking at it from the just a purely interest point of view. Uh, and I believe that, uh, you know, some of the sightings that have been had around some of the facilities, uh, the, the thousands of reports, uh, there's some pretty credible people that have been involved with this. I mean, the legislation in the United States was brought forward by um, – Two opposing senators, if you want to put it that way. Uh, uh, Senator Gillibrand, a Democrat from New York, and Senator Rubio, a renowned Republican from Florida, both put a, uh, you know, a, a, an amendment into a bill that provided for the opportunity to, uh, and some funding to be able to put this into a, uh, uh, a report that was going to be studied by U.S. Senate by, by the, uh, with a report going to Congress. And so at that level, um, but then also Lou Alessandro was an intelligence person with the U.S. military. And being on the inside of that for decades, uh, he felt there needed to be more uh, publicity around this himself uh, and that it should be made more public so that it took away the stigma from uh, uh, American citizens. And so he even left the military to... uh, get into an organization to help make that more public. And uh, Christopher Mellon was in there, uh, you know, with with the intelligence agency in the United States itself. Um, and I've talked to others as well. Well, let's get deep into this conversation now as we talk with Member of Parliament Larry McGuire for Brandon Service in Manitoba, part of the Conservative Party. You were the first in your party to really dig into this. You now have a number of your fellow Conservative Party members involved with this, including Raquel Dancho, who is looking into the RCMP uh, portion of this story and what happens with reports from there. Were you surprised to learn how scatterbrained UFO reports were in Canada from the from the Department of National Defense to Transport Canada to Nav Canada? I mean, I mean, there really doesn't seem to be anything that is centralized. Well, also the Canadian air defense sector, uh, the RCMP, as you mentioned earlier as well, RCAF. Uh, and these are credible uh, military personnel, uh, pilots uh, of majors in, in our army, in our, pardon me, in our military, uh, Air Force. And um, I just think that uh, the credibility of the individuals is what has attacked my intrigue, I guess, if you want to put it that way, to to become more public with us. How important is it for this subject to maybe get the other parties on board? We hear the new Democratic Party's Matthew Green has taken an interest in the UAP subject. Have we heard from the sitting Liberal Party whether or not they have any interest regarding UFOs? Um, I asked a question 
as I said earlier, back you know about a month ago or a month and a half ago, uh, it just kind of came up in natural discussion. And I'm the vice chair of the Natural Resources Committee of Canada here, and uh, uh, in the course of that meeting, uh, we were dealing with some of the topics. And as we transition from where we are today into whatever will be in 2050 for energy sources. And nuclear was one of the big ones that came up. And we were talking about uh, sightings around some of our nuclear plants. That intrigued me as well. Uh, it was something I didn't uh, think that I'd ever have an opportunity to bring up. But I asked the Assistant Deputy Minister here in Canada of Natural Resources what they could tell us about that. And, uh, and we even gave them a copy of the U.S. legislation that was put before Congress and passed. Uh, and uh, we haven't we didn't receive a lot. They, they didn't pass that on to our uh, nuclear safety uh, group, but uh, security commission, I should say. But um, we uh, got a reply back in writing from the questions that I wrote again to them to make sure, it's, which was a bit innocuous. It didn't have a lot of detail to it. And so I'm still pursuing that. Uh, there's a little, we've got an official party position on this as well, you know, with the objective of identifying origins and intent of UPAs. Uh, UAPs, pardon me, and and uh, and it, based on the fact that our closest ally and NORAD partner continues to investigate the national security implications of a UAP, and so it, I think it'd be prudent for Canada to take a similar approach. And so, rather than just you know um, ridicule and silence on these issues, I think it'd be wise to take this issue seriously, with that objective of, of determining what the origin and intent is, and. Uh, and uh, find out what the efforts should be uh, undertaken to investigate and make those findings um, more public in a responsible manner. Is it possible that in the near future, within the next couple of years, we could see a UAP task force formed in Canada to look into sites, whether it's from the military, NAV Canada, CSIS, or your regular citizen who spots a UFO over the prairies or or over the mountains of uh, British Columbia? Well, I think, uh, you know, I've made a suggestion that it be done by our, in a press release that I put out, uh, you know, uh, that our chief science advisor, Dr. Neiman, should be the one to tackle this. Uh, then the defense wouldn't feel encumbered by it. They'd be called as, and we could call whoever we wanted as witness. Now, in Canada, and as a, as a different system than the United States, so as opposition members here, we can't put forward ideas that cost the government money and motions and, and uh, committee work. But we can study things in committee, and I think that's a, an important place to have this discussion take place. But I think it has to go further than that. It has to it has to have a parallel to what the U.S. just did in this congressional hearing uh, and the announcement last week, and that is to say that they will set up an independent body, and, and they're in the process of putting someone in charge of it so that all of the information is gathered in one place and can be made public. And I think that uh, that takes the stigma and any... Uh, concerns away from from that topic that side of it and uh, our chief science advisor would be a good person to do that in my estimation how important is it though for today's politicians and today's canadians to learn about the history of this topic i mean 1967 was very important in this subject because you had shag harbor nova scotia the event that happened there you also had earlier that year the falcon lake incident that happened i mean there's a lot that has been going on in canada ever since uh you know the 1940s and mm -hmm. 50s where wilbur smith was literally the top guy in north america yep. looking into this subject we do have a proud history of investigating unidentified aerial phenomena 
Yeah, we do, and uh, and I think one of the people that I've uh, spoken with is uh, uh, you know a, uh, a gatherer of these informations. I guess you could say that lives right in Winnipeg, Chris Rutkowski. And he has done a tremendous amount of work in regards to this. Is very well known in that field in Canada. Um, you know, uh, with uh, Robert Powell from the SCU, as well as Dr. Hal Putoff that I've spoken to uh, in the CSU as well. Um, uh, you know, you um, uh, uh, SCU, the Scientific Coalition. Yes. But you're familiar. And so I think uh, with these kinds of people and looking into it and already gathering the information you're, to answer your question there's lots of uh, sightings out there in Canada as well as the plethora of them in the United States that have been going on for decades uh, it would appear like at least but um, the uh, the main thing that I think needs to be done here is to correlate the information in one place and, and have it out and then that takes away the stigma from politicians or or uh, or anyone else not to decide what they actually you know what might be on people's minds as uh, what they may believe is in them but to find out what actually the intent and the objective is do you think that everybody can come together regarding this subject in Canada, parliament-wise and, and party-wise, in order to take this seriously, to develop what needs to be developed? Well, um, yeah, I certainly do. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned with the New Democrat member, uh, basically they're backing the idea of, uh, of studying it. Uh, we know that the defense minister from a year ago, Mr. Sajan, was briefed on this. I uh, don't know whether the prime minister or the present defense minister have been, but uh, I know that the deputy minister of natural resources knows about it because we've asked those questions. And uh, I, I think it's uh, pertinent that we do look at uh, going back in that history, like you mentioned Falcon Lake in 67. Uh, they even minted a coin after that one in Canada. And so I think it's uh, it's pretty relevant that we've got these situations that have arisen in our side of the border as well as in the U.S., and we should be sharing information in regards to those areas as we are allies through NORAD, as I mentioned. Now, from what I had learned, our former ambassador to the United States actually was able to brief the Prime Minister back in 2019 when this subject first came out. David McNaughton was the was the person at that time. Have you ever heard anything about David McNaughton briefing the Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, regarding this subject? Well, I knew of it, but we, uh, you know, we've seen an order paper on that, but there's been no response. Do you think the Prime Minister is dodging this subject regarding UAP? Well, I don't know what he knows about it, so I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. I, I, you know, I, it's just not, they haven't made it public, they haven't talked about it, so I have to assume that they're uh, um, not ready to do that yet. And so all I'm trying to do is, parallel to what the U.S. has done already, just get this in the forefront a little bit more so people can talk about it. It's probably uh, well, the main thing, I think, tonight is just to have an opportunity with you to be able to get this message out there. Have you had an opportunity to talk to any of the high-profile American politicians, whether it's Marco Rubio or Kristen Gillibrand or Tim Burchett or Mike Gallagher regarding this subject? I haven't spoken to them personally, no, uh, but I've seen the work that they've done. And uh, and I have talked to Dr. Putoff and, uh, uh, and uh, Chris, and there's others here in Canada, 
but I think uh, that it's the work I think that's being done that's the most important part here. And uh, uh, and I'm I take my hat off to uh, Ms. Gillibrand and Mr. Rubio for getting that amendment forward, getting it passed in Congress, and for providing a an unclassified and a classified uh, report on that that are already out. Should this subject remain classified in Canada? Well, I think that's why I'm here. I'm trying to make it much more public. Uh, And I think that there's a certain level of, uh, and I don't know what they have for information, so I'm just going to say that I think there needs to be a, you know, um, we want to make sure that that the information that's put on the table is uh, um, coming from uh, areas that they've done study in already. Uh, and deal with the information that's before us so that they can have acceptable information that the public can even, you know, guys like myself can absorb. Uh, and uh, But there's been some pretty phenomenal um, sightings, uh, some supersonic speed opportunities, I guess you could say, in these areas for the speed of some of these vehicles or whatever they are. Uh, and... Uh, an identified aerial phenomena, I guess, is the best way to describe them. But uh, some of the things that the uh, uh, U.S. has in regards to the speeds, uh, the following of radar uh, on these items are certainly nothing that our present uh, U.S. government is aware of, and they believe that it's in an, uh, you know, it's either something completely out of the realm of where we're at, or it is uh, something that. Uh, is unexplainable and believed to be not uh, made by any, any uh, country on earth yet. Have you talked to any Canadian fighter pilots who have intercepted any of these craft or tried to intercept and, and learn what they have learned or has that been off limits so far? I haven't heard talk to them. No. And I think that it's hurricane season flood insurance can help you avoid paying out of pocket for costly damage. It's time to trust your instincts Get flood insurance and protect the life you've built. Visit floodsmart.gov. If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. But that's the kind of thing that would come out if we were to have this in a committee, then, uh, Dave, I think it would be very uh, fruitful because then we can call... Uh, very credible witnesses forward and give them an opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, say their piece. Do you think that Canadian hearings could be a part of the future regarding this subject? I mean, considering if you look at the list, you have a, a, a plethora of knowledge in Chris Rutkowski, Grant Cameron, Victor Vigiani, uh, Paul Kingsbury, who you met with the SCU, uh, and many others regarding this phenomena. Yeah, I think there. I think there could be. I mean, these people have been, as I said, working on this for years, and uh, and we need, you know, the witnesses we could bring before a hearing, which is what I call a committee. Uh, can be don't all have to be Canadians either. So uh, we'd have to get clearance to bring them in, and they could tell us what they can and whatever's classified, and they can't talk about. Well, then we have to ask the right questions. And I think that was one of the concerns of. Uh, uh, of uh, you know some of the topics that came out of the uh, uh, of the congressional hearing of just uh, May the seventeenth. 
Now, we got about just under 90 seconds to go before we have to go to break at the bottom of the hour. Member of Parliament, mm-hmm. the Honorable Larry McGuire, here on Spaced Out Radio tonight. What have you learned personally that shocked you about this subject? Well, I think the fact that's that, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Alessandro has indicated that there are objects. Um, he hasn't elaborated, but I think that's in itself a uh, uh, quite something, and uh, and to see some of the videos that they put in that ninety-minute congressional hearing, um, and then they say that what they showed us is just the beginning of what they have. I think it certainly raises the curiosity. Well, when we come back from the break, I really want to get into your conversations because you have had a couple of deep meetings regarding this subject. And I would love if you could open up uh, on these as much as you possibly can regarding your meetings with Lou Elizondo, Hal Putoff, the the SCU, Mm -hmm. because it's important that the public finds out what is going on across Canada regarding the UAP phenomena. Yes, this isn't just an American thing. This is a Canadian thing. This is a Brazilian problem. This is a United Kingdom problem. It's a world issue that has to come out. And we are very proud tonight to have from the member of parliament of the Canadian Conservative Party, the Honorable Larry McGuire here on Spaced Out Radio. More UAP talk with UFOs in Canadian politics. Let's get into it when we return on the mighty SOR. Stay tuned. The second half hour is next. I'm not going to lie. I'm having a lot of fun here. <laughs> I am having a lot of fun. I hope you are too. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It sure is. The audience is loving this so far too. Well, it's a pretty interesting topic. <laughs> it's much more than interesting. Well, you know what? I'm just glad that it's finally coming out. I really am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm very excited about it. I'm, uh, you know, I mean, being up here, being uh, uh, an experiencer of sightings and, and everything like that, I, I think it's it's about time, and I think it's really, really brave that, that you've tackled this. Now, I don't know whether that's because uh, you're passionate about it or, or you figure, you know what, let's throw a wrench in things or whatever it may be, but, <laughs> but it's awesome. I think it's great. I think it's more passion than than trying to throw a wrench in things. As I said, uh, I will answer your question more clearly. I believe it's imperative that this be done uh, in a non-biased manner, and and uh, it should be one of the least partisan things I think that Parliament can deal with. Right. <laughs> we can get into that later too. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, because it is no matter what you do, this has to be bipartisan. Like it's it's not oh. one side or the other. It has to be. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. All right. Well, we already got in trouble from one of our American listeners because they're like a half hour into two Canadians on an interview and not one A yet. So, uh, the Amer- <laughs> I guess we got to talk some hockey. Did you watch the game last night? <laughs> um, I must admit, I didn't <laughs> see much of it. I, I saw up and down there, there was an awful lot of goals scored oh. again. and. To come, for Colorado to come out one up, I guess that was a good deal for them. But uh, yeah, it was a you know you'd think Edmonton was right out of it. And then I always said as long as Drysaddle and 
and uh, McDavid are on the ice, uh, the game's never over, and they almost proved it again last night. Well, geez, but McKinnon's it, an awesome hockey player too. Oh my God! They, and you know that Kale McCarr on defense for Colorado. Yeah. That kid. Oh, that kid's the next uh, Chris Pronger type player. Yeah, you know, maybe a goalie. Scott Niederreiter. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I'll tell you, um, I think Edmonton in six. I'm going with Edmonton in six. I'm feeling Edmonton in six. Yeah. God, I hope because I hope you're right. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. You know, I I could use. I, I've been a diehard Oilers fan since 1979. So yeah. I was like seven years old the first time I saw Gretzky on TV, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is this is uh, incredible, absolutely well, if incredible. Grant, if Grant Fears listening, uh, I'll be back for another round of golf. Put it that way. <laughs> well, you have to be. You got it. Oh. And a comment here from Robert to you. Hats off to you from the USA. A lot of Americans are excited about you, uh, Larry. I'm, I'm, we got a lot. Of, most of our listeners, about 70% of our listeners, believe it or not, are American. And uh, yeah. they're happy to see Canada finally getting into this. And it's all because of you. Well, we wanted to bring it forward. I just got such an interest in it when I... You know, uh, even the though we saw that New York Times article five years ago, well, nothing was being done, you know, and there's lots of books out and that kind of stuff. I haven't even read most of those, but I think the big thing is that uh, when the politicians in the states, being one myself up here, started to, you know, put legislation in place to uh, to deal with it, that's, uh, you know, we can talk about that too, but that's what piqued my interest in it. Right. Okay, hardest question of the night I'm going to ask you. The toughest <laughs> question. What what is your thoughts on uh, or rules on eating breakfast foods for dinner? We ask every first time guest this question. <laughs> oh, never thought much of it, but being an old farm boy, porridge looks pretty good any time of the day. <laughs> okay, I'll give you porridge. I'll give you porridge. God, I haven't had a good porridge since my grandma made it, man. <laughs> I got one of them big husky Ukrainian grandmas from Vegerville. Well, for all of our American friends, I love Canadian back bacon too. But you know the eggs are pretty pop, pretty popular. So, yeah, no, it's a uh, it's one of my favorite meals of the day, and I can pretty well eat it any time of the day. Oh uh, well, uh, I I have an aversion to eating breakfast foods for dinner, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say a big thank you to Human Carl, Bob, Ken, and Sally for the great super chats tonight. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show. We got a number of veterans in our chat room tonight. We want to say hello to all of you. You always have a safe home here in our chat room on spaced out radio and all of our regulars who are tuned on in. We very much appreciate you guys coming on in as well. We have Larry here for another half an hour. Then we got a very special panel coming up for you in hours two and three. Here we go with the second half hour. Second half hour of Space Down Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott, coming to you from the beautiful mountains of British Columbia. 
want to remind you that you can check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio or on any podcast network. Also, our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on the conversation tonight. Member of Parliament, Larry McGuire, the Honorable One from Brandon Souris in Manitoba, part of the Conservative Party of Canada, looking into UFOs. And sir, back on February 21st of 2021, you had a very, very important conversation with Luis Elizondo, the former head of the ATIP program at the Pentagon regarding UAP. Are you able to tell us what that conversation was all about? Yeah, sure am. Uh, no, we, uh, you know, I didn't learn any classified information that the, the, the topics that I talked with Lou on were things that are already out in the public venue. Uh, or, and, uh, but it was really interesting to hear his uh, discussions on some of the uh, sightings and topics. And I guess, you know, some of the things that struck me the most is that he, he said, these aren't all what we'd call as traditional flying objects because they don't have any kind of combustion engines or leaving streams or trails behind them. Uh, they didn't leave any associated signatures that an aircraft does. Uh, and yet they were traveling at thousands of miles an hour. And um, the indications are that the G forces, you know, what, what we can stand going into space, eight, nine G's, that kind of stuff. And they said the G's on these machines would be up in the seven to 900 uh, G force range. So that is uh, radars picked them up. Uh, as I said, uh, they can turn at 90 degrees uh, without losing any speed at all. So uh, there's, uh, you know, nothing in the country's inventory that can withstand those Gs. So that was just some of the topics. Um, low Earth orbits uh, dropping from, you know, 28,000 feet to zero in basically three-quarters of a second. These are things that are, I think, uh, recorded and need to be uh, discussed in some of the hearings that they'll continue to have in the United States. I'm sure that there'll be other congressional meetings on it just because they had one in 50 years with the interest in this topic right now. The stigma is starting to leave it. Uh, it's okay to talk about it any, now uh, because, uh, you know, there, there's, you know, presidents have talked about this, the head of the uh, CIA and different areas have been uh, talking about it. NASA administrators, intelligence officials, you know, and trained military observers. These are credible people that have all uh, been in on the recordings of these. And uh, and I think that makes the whole thing of extreme interest. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, just uh, that's what I've picked up from some of the conversations. Outside of NORAD, is there any or has there been any sharing of information between Canada and the United States regarding UAP. Well, that's what I want to get a hearing up here to, to help get into as well. We don't know that. I do know that there's been, um, you know, uh, the reports back and forth have been read by both sides, I'm sure. Uh, they know that there's been sightings here. We know that there's sightings there in the United States. Uh, I think we need to work together on this, and that's why I want to get a parallel uh, opportunity set up here. Nobody's taken this on other than myself here before in Canada. And I, uh, I think it's a uh, high time that we did, um, uh, the, uh, uh, people like Mr. Rakowski have got, you know, over a thousand, um, 
what would I say, dossiers, basically sightings that have been reported to him here as a, as a person of interest to collect these interests so far in Canada. But I still think that our uh, chief science advisor would be a really good person to coordinate everything with. And then because we're working together through NORAD and other intelligence mechanisms anyway, uh, and our trade is so great with our American neighbors, um, it just stands to reason that we look at this at least on a North American basis. Okay, so the fact that we don't know if there is other talks going on that we know of at this time, would would you say that because we are the United States' closest allies and they are to us, that we need to have some sort of cross-border understanding of UAP? Well, I would certainly think that would be an objective. I mean, I grew up in southern Manitoba, right in the middle of Canada here, about 35 miles off the American border and two hours away from the mili- from the uh, Minot Air Force Base in middle of North Dakota's northern border, you know, and uh, uh, and the military, the, the missiles that were in the uh, put in there in the 60s. Uh, there's been rumors of, uh, you know, of, of uh, them being disabled by some of these uh sightings uh, and we don't know the details of that i think there's a lot of things that are still to be learned by all of us and i think the only way we can do that fully in our own context here is to share that information between both countries okay now recently you took a tour of canada's nuclear energy facilities since we do not have any nuclear missiles in canada and you recently brought up in a standing committee about UAP being seen over the nuclear facilities. When you were touring around Ontario at these facilities, did you bring up the questions of unidentified aerial phenomena or drones uh, coming over the facilities and hovering or being spotted around them? Uh, We were there just to look at the types of... uh plants that we have with the Candu reactors in, in Bruce, which is uh, Bruce Nuclear, which is the largest North, uh, nuclear plant in North America, uh, and to look at them, how they manage their uh, disposals of the uh, uh, rods that they have and the, and the energy that, that comes from nuclear. Uh, and I think those were the main things that we were dealing with. And I didn't bring it up there, but I did bring it up with our uh, um, security, the uh, Canadian nuclear security uh, folks on a, on a call that I had with them uh, directly. And that's when we got the deputy minister of uh, natural resources involved. Do you think that this is cause for concern if unidentified aerial phenomena are being seen over nuclear facilities at this time? Well, we don't have any uh, indication that there'd be any harm done by it. Uh, we don't know whether there's any defense uh, alerts to be had here or not. Uh, there's certainly been nothing to show that there is at this point here in Canada. There's been sightings, uh, and it's interesting that they are in those areas. Uh, there's been a number of sightings there, uh, and uh, not particularly in that one, but in, in our nuclear facilities. And so I, I think that those are, are that's just a real big part of why I want the objective of this to be to find out what the origin and the intent of these are. Have any of them that we know about been caught on tape? Well, I think that the you know the congressional hearing had sightings uh, right in its own videos that they had at the at the hearing, um, and uh, one of the things that the uh, you know uh, that, that they've talked about is the physiological effects of uh, UAP, and and they make special notes uh, this new office that they've put together uh, of testing materials 
to gain as much knowledge as possible on the origin intent. So uh, that would lead to me to believe that they have something. Could those, if, if videos are filmed, because I'm going to assume that security states that there's video cameras all over these nuclear facilities, could it be that we could see videos come out at some point? Well, we asked for details on that. That was certainly one of the questions that I had for our uh, Canadian Nuclear Security Commission, and uh, we didn't get, you know, like how far away can you've got extensive um, surveillance equipment around these types of plants, and uh, we didn't get a clear answer as to how far that would go, how near to a plant it would be before they considered it uh, a concern and those are un- unanswered questions at this point all right let's move but over definitely but, but definitely questions i think that need to be answered that would be very interesting and and you know what we're going to push for that you know sometimes a little journalistic mm-hmm. digging uh, can can come a little yep. a bit long way and i think the pressure of the mainstream media may be able to get something out if they ever outside of ctv news jump on this subject matter well and you know i've talked about chris rakowski here in canada uh and the the new committee that'll be set up in the u.s but we've also got uh you know uh, um, reports uh, here in canada the documented evidence outlining what uh, department of national defense reports in their own internal um unidentified aerial phenomena information and that includes NORAD's information through what we have as one one Canada Air Division in Winnipeg and uh, and the aerial uh, aerospace control and warning squadron in North Bay Ontario. So those are two more areas of information gathering, uh, and I think the more we delve into this, the more information that we could get in a very good committee hearing, uh, even if it's only two or three meetings, to have discussions from witnesses and uh, uh, and then maybe talk to some of our own. Uh, um, bureaucrats after that once we hear once we've heard from the people who have actually got the information to deal with it why do you think this subject is so important for canadians to learn about this w- what is it about this subject that that canadians should know well i think it's just a curiosity from this point of view but we need to know if it's a defense something that, that we should be worried about in defense as well i think uh, it's only um just uh, common sense to think that if there's something in the space that's uh, that we're not aware of, that it's not maybe a defense concern on something that might happen in the ground, but we've got a lot of flights flying today. And, and uh, you know, some of these pilots have seen um, objects flying along beside them, that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, Certainly, we don't want to have any accidents up there. Uh, And so I think that's a curiosity as well. In a Canadian sense, because it's going to be much different than the United States way of doing it, what does disclosure mean to you? Uh, Just putting all all your cards on the table. I think if you're going to disclose something, it means you let people know what you know. And I think that's what we could learn in a committee. Uh, That's what I hope that the Americans do with their... Uh, new intelligence committee that, on, that they're putting together on this. And, and I think it's very important that there be a chief person in charge of it so that there isn't, uh, you know, varying stories going into two or three different departments. We need to bring all of the departments together in their government and in our government because it's not just uh, science or defense or uh, other 
ones of interest, public safety, they should all be bringing the information that they have to a common place instead of hoarding it themselves. Do you see the Canadian military or CSIS playing ball with that, considering that we know that the the United States has used Canadian airspace to test some of their own equipment? I mean, going back to the 1980s, where they were testing cruise missiles over the Cold Lake Air Force range. Well, I mean, I think that these are, as I've said earlier, there's not many boundaries to UAPs. Uh, we've got cooperative efforts in regards to our own defenses here in North America, and I think that that'll continue regardless. But um, I just think that there's a real opportunity here to, you know, assess. It's another hurricane season, and right about now, residents are busy fortifying their nests against damage. This year, they're preparing with flood insurance. They've learned it's the extra layer of protection that prevents them from paying out of pocket or pouch for costly repairs. You too should trust your instincts this season. Get flood insurance and protect the life you've built. Visit floodsmart.gov. At Omni Hotels and Resorts, discover endless ways to enjoy your summer. Hike, bike, dine, zipline, and more at over 50 city and resort destinations coast to coast. Explore all we have to offer and book now at omnihotels.com slash summer. Uh, what the practices are and uh, for our governments to work together. Well, uh, are you are you going to be satisfied if the United States doesn't open up to the Canadian government regarding UAP? I mean, they're the ones in control of this stigma. I mean... Or is it possible that Canada runs a, their own UAP branch without any joint effort from the United States? Well, I think there are two most logical questions to be asked here in Canada. And the one is, uh, you know, what information does the government of Canada possess? And the other one is, if they have it, what are they doing with it? And I think, uh, you know, we may have to run our own intelligence process on this one. Uh, the U.S. is certainly going to do theirs themselves. Uh, and, but if, you know, uh, the fact that I've been able to pick up the phone and, and speak to some of these people that are dealing with this, I, I'm sure they're not telling me everything that they know. <laughs> There's no doubt about that, as I said in my opening comments. But uh, it is a great way to share and to get people like myself and other politicians and other researchers here in Canada um, there's a, there's a scientific research angle to this as well as the physics of it and the chemistry of it is extremely valuable, I think, for those that are, you know, developing products in those fields in our own nations. Well, and, and that's definitely so. I mean, you know, you could literally, with the amount of Canadian scientists that are part of the SCU, as well as Canada's chief scientists that we have uh, throughout the country, there's no reason why the scientific community shouldn't be jumping on board with this. Well, that's, that's what I say. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a real curiosity for me. Is I'm, I'm no scientist, but I can tell you, uh, if uh, just the fact that all of this is there and we don't know what it is, 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 um, you know, uh, curious enough for me to be able to want to push this further, to be able to get more answers. And, uh, just as we do in, in politics, we're not experts in those fields. And that's why we ask the questions is so that we can share that information with the, the, or get that information from the people that do have the answers and share it with other Canadians and with the, in your, in the case of the United States, our listeners there, uh, with, uh, 
with the American population as well. How deep do you think this subject goes in Canada, or do you think these logs of, of decades of sightings and encounters are just stored somewhere in some, you know, vault underneath some of the parliamentary buildings? I mean, because to me, it seems very disorganized. You have, like I said, NAV Canada, Transport Canada, the military, CSIST, the RCMP, all having mm-hmm. their own files on this subject, but nobody seems to be doing anything with it. They seem to be almost in a dead zone. Well, I think there's never been the public uh, discussion like we're having now about it. Uh, it as I said, it, it, it appears like taboo, you know, most of the time. And uh, uh, and there, so maybe each one of them felt comfortable working in their own silos. But now that this is out there, I think it's uh, uh, a real opportunity for them to just say, hey, like, we've got this information. We wouldn't mind sharing it with other departments. And I think that's uh, the important thing to come out of all of this uh, discussion is is just how much more open can we make it and uh, what can we all learn from it? And you're not going to learn anything if we don't get it before hearings such as what uh, the politicians in the United States asked for um, and still got classified you know, reports, but unclassified ones as well to the senators themselves. So I think that was... Uh, 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 that's a pretty important uh, step forward. One that has to take, and it'll take some time uh, as well as uh, as more of that information comes out, because I'm sure there's even more than, certainly there's, certainly there's more than what I know and, uh, and from the discussions I've had. And, and I think that that's just uh, part and parcel of how, um, uh, you know, as more people feel comfortable talking about this, there'll be more questions asked. I, I want to go back and say, uh, when I said that Mr. Rutkowski has had thousands of, uh, reports of his own. I mean, by his own findings and his own followings of some of these, you know, a, a good deal of them, maybe even as much as 90% of them can be put down to a drone or something to that effect. But that still leaves a lot of sightings that they haven't got any answers for. Do you feel you've got answers? Do you feel you have a little bit of a clue of what's going on with what you've been told by Hal Putoff, by Luis Elizondo, by the SCU, or members of the Canadian sector looking into this? Well, just the speeds that I talked about, the G-forces, the materials comment that was made, uh, that's more than I knew uh, two months ago uh, in, in regards to some of these, Dave. So I think if, you know, but I, I'm not uh, naive enough to think that they're going to, give me the whole load in the first time they talk to me. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a pretty good understanding that there's more out there that we need to talk about. And, uh, and it appears now as if there's going to be formats for people to be able to, to do that, have that conversation. Are you comfortable going into public and stating that these craft, whatever they may be, are not of this earth and may be of an extraterrestrial descent? Those are my words. Uh, I'm comfortable saying that because I'm just repeating what I've heard from uh, these folks. Uh, they're very concerned, uh, as I said, materials here that, uh, you know, they just don't know where they come from. And uh, until they can discern that, uh, I think we need to uh, um, keep the radars on and keep the discussions open. Does Larry McGuire believe that from what he has learned, that this is of an extraterrestrial uh, background that is visiting this planet? 
I can't say that because I don't know that. Uh, I don't know if it's extraterrestrial or not. I think there's, you know, we can get into discussions about aliens and all the rest of that, but I have no evidence to that at all at this point. All I know is that all of these sightings have been of, a, you know, we always used to talk about unidentified flying objects, UFOs, and these are the same topics, basically, that we're dealing with. Just I think they're using the unidentified aerial phenomena because they just don't know what they are. Uh, but nobody's indicating that there's aliens on board and and uh, or extraterrestrial beings there at all. And uh, uh, but I think that's that. I keep going back to it. That's the objective here is just to find out what the intent and the uh, origin of these uh, objects are. Are you almost conclusive yourself then that it is not Russia, it is not China, or? anything of this earth from what people from Elizondo to put off and others have stated. Oh, absolutely. When I've listened to these scientists tell me that these, you know, there's nothing made on earth that could be doing this. Um, uh, you know, uh, their only other alternative is to that they've indicated publicly is that this is a completely out of earth experience. And so we need to know, uh, you know, we, we didn't even know what the stars were beyond our own galaxy for a while. And we had the Hubble telescope and now we got the James Watt one. And I mean, there's, there's just, you know, huge opportunities that we're just getting into with, with that new technology. So we just don't know where it's going to go. We have two and a half minutes left with you tonight. Uh, MP, Larry McGuire, and I want to say, you know, thank you so much for taking time with us. What do you want to see Canadians do in order to help move this subject forward? Well, I think this is the first time Canadian politics that anyone has brought this forward in Canada, and I think we need to be able to continue on with uh, asking questions uh, uh, involving all parties, uh, in a nonpartisan manner, as I said, if there's anything that can be nonpartisan in Canadian politics these days, this would have to be one of them. And I think we need to be able to uh, uh, get some clear answers because we're certainly not dealing with uh, something that uh, that the people who have been in the intelligence systems in the U.S. particularly, they've come forward. I'm assuming that some of the intelligence uh, people that we have in some of our organizations here in Canada as well have uh, similar experiences. Uh, we just haven't seen them yet. So I'd like to make sure that we get this all on the table. Do letters and emails actually work? Because I'm going to tell you, I actually emailed my MP within the last few weeks and never got a response regarding UAP. Well, I'd apologize for that myself because I've, uh, you know, I try to get back to everybody as quick as I can too, Dave, but sometimes it takes me a while and I've still got two or three of those calls that I'll be making first thing tomorrow morning, but because that's a good reminder for all of us as politicians, the, the key to being a good politician is to get back to everybody. But, but uh, I do know uh, the tables are pretty heavy these days with the things that have been going on as we recover from COVID here in Canada and the same thing in the U.S. But uh, yeah, you know, if you have any problems with that, just tell your listeners to send a uh, uh, an email to their MP or to see it, you know, send it to myself. We'll try to get back to them as quick as we can. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I'd be really interested in, cause I'm sure that there's thousands of people out there that have seen things that I have not seen. And, uh, I'd like to hear about them too. And, and, uh, we can just add that into Mr. Rakowski's, uh, and others, um, bank of information that we have here in Canada. 
Well, I'm going to say a big thank you, Honorable Larry McGuire, for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight. It is an absolute pleasure to be able to share this topic with you. Congratulations on being historic in the parliamentary system for bringing this topic to light. Let's just hope that the media, the mainstream, hops on board with this a little bit more and your fellow politicians hop on board with this subject because we got a long road to go. Well, I, I can add to that. The media already has, uh, Dave. We had an editorial in our Winnipeg Free Press here the other day on this topic itself, and uh, that was one of the first editorials we've seen. And, but there's been others in uh, major papers as well. So uh, look forward to uh, uh, saying goodnight to all of your listeners, and it's been a pleasure to be with you. MP Larry McGuire, Brandon Soares, part of the Conservative Party of Canada. Coming up next, we have a great panel breaking down UFOs over Canada next on Spaced Out Radio. Great job, sir. Great job. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you yeah, so much. No, thank you, Dave. That was great. I really yeah, I know appreciate it was, that. Uh, good evening, and uh, uh, you know, if we can help with anything, let us know. I appreciate your time, and uh, I'll be in touch. As uh, Drew, there, you know, I got to give him a, a hard time every now and again, but uh, I do appreciate <laughs> everything that you guys have done for us. Thank you. You're welcome. All, All right. right. Take care. Thanks sir. a lot. Good night. Good night. All right, Larry McGuire, everyone. How awesome was that? Nicola, bringing you in. If you're ready. If you're ready. If you're ready. Oh, you got your speakers on. I got to mute you. Oh. Ah. Look who it is, everyone. It is the Mystic Lion himself. Sean Cahill, who, who, who just hung up by accident five seconds ago. <laughs> uh, I got Nicole. Now, let's see if Nicole's acting properly here. All right, uh, you guys could chat. Our audience can hear you, and uh, I'll be right back. I got to take a quick bathroom break here. What's happening, Mystic Lion? Did you just <laughs> land? Did you just <laughs> land? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. Wow, I, I was just watching Kenobi up until a minute ago. So <laughs> I watched it twice when I was in Florida. I was like, "Oh, got nothing else to do. Better just watch Kenobi again." <laughs> I uh, I have I have no idea what's going on at all. I'm in a very different head and heart space. Um, I just spent the last five days at a consciousness project in the Shenandoah Mountains. Um, with some a, a lot of really really incredible people that uh, uh, everybody will probably be hearing about it pretty soon. Um, we had such an amazing time together that we never even really got around to to talk about when we were going to start talking about it. But um, it, it was just uh, it was pretty life changing for a lot of the people that were there. Um, we had a group of folks together that was that was that was in, pretty incredibly talented. And um, and, and just, very dedicated. Uh, it was like so. there. Um, oh, <laughs> hold on a minute! I just uh, I was just struck speechless by a by know, another Dave, panelist. Dave doesn't know dedicated. either. So that was perfect timing. Grant, hey, Grant. perfect timing. Hold oh, on, what a man. surprise! He, I think he might be talking. I muted him. 
<laughs> oh wow. Well, Nicole, you know where I, you know where I was. Um, I, you know, I've heard from from many people who were there about different things. Nobody's telling Grant, me the same thing. You Grant know, knows, yeah. Nine, I think <laughs> I was like, "Is this a tactic?" So none of us know what's really going on. Hmm. <laughs> but I think those. I mean, obviously, it's friends of people who are there. So I mean, it's everybody. Oh, sure. It's everybody's support system. So. I oh yeah, it's study. it's in the water. Yeah. It's in the water that a lot of folks met up at the Monroe Institute for something that's pretty special, um, and a lot of new, really beautiful relationships got formed that are just going to bring so many folks together. You know that hadn't had a chance to work together or that had been working in parallel in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. Some very big names from academia, um, some very very well known uh, experiencers. Um, uh, dang near all experiencers in one way, shape, or form. Uh, every so type—is that what you're beating all? Like every type of experiencer? Well, uh, well, that that and and dang near everyone who attended. You know, I, it wasn't a hundred percent per oh, se. Gotcha. But, um, but I would say that the that the full spectrum of what most of us would call UAP was represented, and um, I look forward to you know, to getting in depth and talking about it more, more later, um, you know, in the, in the future. But let me say this, there was the most beautiful marriage of the nuts and bolts side of this. And then the heartfelt spiritualist leaning side of this. And we saw some, some just really mature people in real time, bring, bring together ideas that I've never seen brought together in the same location before in the same way. So, um, Ooh. Yeah, we'll have to talk offline, obviously, because like I said, and I'm glad yeah. your audience is hearing this, too, because it's not a secret. This is just stuff that, you know, we have to, like, get a chance to take a breath <laughs> and go, how how are we going to talk about it? Because like I said, I landed at 8 o'clock last night. Dave looks really confused. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I confused? Well, I don't know. It's like you sat down and somebody disappeared. Oh, Weird. Weird. <laughs> So I don't know. I was uh, trying to unmute our other panelist, and then he disappeared. Like Sean, I just think, is it my turn? Do I have to dip out and come back? No, no. Well, I went to un. <laughs> no, we're waiting. I went to unmute myself and I hung up. I'm sorry. We're waiting. I think that's what I just did to Grant. I went to unmute him, and I think I kicked him out. <laughs> All right, uh, we're waiting for Grant. We're waiting for Victor Vigiani to come on in. Hi, Dry Toast. How you doing? And who else has come on in here? Dry Toast, by the way, the best name on YouTube right there. Big thank you to Grant, Victor, Cherokee, Grant again, Carl, Bob, Ken, and Sally for the great Super Chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And, of course, we are going to be extending this panel here momentarily we got three seconds. We're going to launch it. Hour two right now. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with the second hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Very special edition to you. As we continue on here talking UAP all night long over Canada 
and the United States. We want to say hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do us the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Napagal. Oh, that's wrong. Napagal is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight. We are going to go the next two hours, and we're going to have panelists floating in and out regarding this high topic after Larry McGuire, Member of Parliament for the Conservative Party of Canada, just spoke in his first exclusive long-range interview regarding UAP over Canada. Joining us from Spaced Out Radio and author and researcher Nicole Sackage, and, of course, Sean Cahill, who is one of the top people when it comes to the UAP subject and what is going on behind the scenes of everything that's going on. Sean and uh, Nicole, welcome back to Spaced Out Radio. How are you? Good evening, Dave. Hey, Nicole. Doing Doing really well. And uh, I think we're going to add one more here very quickly, and that would be the legendary Grant Cameron, if uh, his computer is going to be up and running here. But I want to get things started here because, Sean, you work closely with Lou Elizondo. And back last year of February, Elizondo met with Larry McGuire and others of the Conservative Party of Canada to try and get the ball rolling on this subject. How important is it to, to have America's number one ally in Canada starting to dip their feet into the UFO pool politically? I think it's absolutely imperative, excuse me, imperative. Um, I think it's imperative that all of our Five Eyes partners take an equal stance uh, next to the United States when it comes to this topic. Um, and I think Canada is really showing um, showing a lot of courage and taking the lead in that when some of our other partners are not being as courageous. All right, let's bring in Grant Cameron here because Grant has been researching this subject since the 1970s. And, and Grant, thank you so much for staying up late and joining us tonight as you are a hero and a mentor of many of us, not only sitting on this panel, but of many of our listeners out there. And Grant's uh, computer seemed to freeze up, so I'll, I'll save that question for him. Nicole, for you... Uh, um, I want to get to you on this because you working with Grant Cameron, you work with us, you're, you're very understanding about the passion that, that we have on trying to get this subject popularized and talked about in Canada. When you hear Larry Maguire really stepping up and talking about, hey, politicians in Canada are finally starting to awaken, much like what has happened in the United <laughs> States, what does that mean to you as a researcher? Well... As you know, I often get mistaken for a Canadian myself, so my heart kind of goes out (laughs) to all Canadians when they're facing the same uh, sort of issues that we are here down south, (laughs) as you guys put it. But um, no, you know, over the last few years, just getting to know people in this community like Victor and Grant and yourself and 
so many others, just even on the experiencer level. And these issues are the same issues across the board. They're global issues. I think everybody is starting to go to their governments and ask these questions. And I, first of all, I was stunned, you know, and I raised my little tiny Canadian flag when I saw Larry McGuire speaking. He was obviously educated on the topic. He was asking the right questions. Um, yeah, and he was tough. He didn't back down. He, I'm, I'm forgetting their names right now because I'm not Canadian, but there was the man and the woman, and they, he pressed them until they said they would come back with answers. So, I mean, that's the best we can ask of anybody, right? Right. So. Sean, we have heard from the uh, the fact that Larry McGuire has met with Luis Elizondo. He mm-hmm. has met with Chris Mellon. He has met with Hal Putoff, along with members of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. This is a guy who seems to be doing his homework and then passing that knowledge on to other parliamentary people up here in Canada. Is that how it gets started, or is that really showing that there is an interest in learning what is properly happening. You know, I think it's, 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 it's both of those things because frankly, this is, this is the, the, the investigation that the government's interested in. You know, this is where you and I have talked in the past where certain things veer off of what a lot of us are used to with, with ufology, et cetera. But um, I think this is where it starts because this is this is where the, the breadcrumbs lead through. The right people that worked at the most recent programs that have the most most recent sight picture of what's going on should be the first people to brief to brief you know leaders and such to give them the now picture. You know we will we will have time. Of course, we're all very very concerned with the record, with the past, with with you know what is yet to be revealed, etc. But I do think this is the right way to begin. Grant Cameron, thank you so much for joining us. And once again, you are a hero and a mentor to many people in this field over the past almost 50 years of studying this subject. And and much love to you, my friend, from all of us on this uh, panel here tonight, uh, because we all love and respect you. I'm curious. I mean, I know you listened to Larry McGuire. You have been involved in certain conversations that have happened behind the scenes regarding this. How do you feel about the Canadian government finally waking up to the idea that there are UAP happening on this side of the border? Well, I will acknowledge uh, McGuire was way better than I thought he'd be. Um, I give him full credit for coming forward. I think we got to point out, though, that he's not the government. He's the opposition party and that they have very limited power in what they can do. I, in, in the past, I dealt with other politicians in Canada like uh, Jack Murda, who was the member of parliament for the Carmen area where the big flop took place. And he was very interested until he became the member of the sitting par- party in power. And then he wouldn't talk. The same as I dealt with uh, James Richardson, who was um, the minister of N- national defense. And while he was in opposition, he was great. Um, and But once he got into power, then you you get them sort of, they quieten down because... Now they're speaking on behalf of the government. So I, I acknowledge that uh, McGuire was well-spoken. He was very open. I was um, very impressed that he actually went to what uh, the conversation with Lou Alzando. I knew 
that they'd had this conversation. He was he was very open about uh, what he did, and uh, I fully give him full credit for stepping out and doing this. Hopefully, he can get a committee. I remember you you kept asking him. He kept kept talking about this committee. I hope he will step forward and actually on the floor of the parliament uh, request a, a committee to look at this because. As, as he pointed out, he has very limited power in what he can do. But if you open up the fact that we need a, a committee to look at this subject, stand forward. Uh, if we get a committee, uh, then you'll get questions. Actually, the material I presented to McGuire was the Wilbur Smith material from the early days. And it was actually brought up in a committee with Wilbur Smith. There was a discussion took place with Wilbur Smith. So um, that's what you need. And, and in Canada, it's going to be much much less secrecy than in the United States. I think you're going to get a lot of people coming forward, and I think it'll be uh, quite the show. Grant, I want to ask you one more question about the potential committee that McGuire would like to see, because we know, the as he stated, the New Democratic Party, otherwise called the NDP, up here in Canada is on board. The Liberal Party of Canada, which is the governing party by Justin Trudeau, really hasn't spoken out about this, yet... McGuire did state when I asked him about 2019 and Ambassador uh, David McNaughton talking to the Prime Minister about UAP that he did acknowledge that he had heard that that meeting had happened, but nothing formal has been presented on paper yet. So the Liberals being quiet, you got the NDP on side. I guess this might fall into the hands of the Bloc Québécois coming in now and and if they could get if the conservatives could get the bloc quebecois to start talking about the uap over canada then you have three parties against one well but the, the point the point i was making is that you've got to bring it up in parliament and confront the the sitting party to have the committee the you can have the bloc quebecois and the ndp and and the conservatives all on board and talking about it but until you move it into the power, the power that 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 is there, because the, that's what I found is is once you're going to get the conservatives, if they were to get power, you would suddenly find out they all shut up and they won't talk because now you're talking on behalf of the government. It's one thing to be in the opposition party; they were very vocal. The guys that I talked to in the past were very vocal as long as they were in the opposition party. But as soon as they got into the got into power, they suddenly wouldn't talk to me anymore because now. They're they're speaking officially on behalf of the government, and that's the that's the big difference. Is as long as you're in the opposition party, you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want. But once you become in the sitting government, then everything you say becomes government policy, and and nobody's going to want to go there. So that's why I say uh, he has to confront the the in parliament. He's got to confront the government to set up the the um, the committee, which they're not going to want to maybe not going to want to do. But that's where it's, it's got to go. Can I ask Grant? Um, yeah. do, do those relate? Do you do those relationships still exist though? Did did the folks that you were working with before that are now in power, you know, as they see these hearings happening here, the new hearings in Brazil, as this becomes an international topic, do you think that you could you you could rekindle those relationships and kind of kickstart and pick up where and where you left off before? Okay, well, James James Richardson has has died, but uh, Jack Murda, uh, McGuire actually went and talked to him, and mm-hmm. uh, he didn't really have much to say. But uh, so he's a he's a conservative, and he was in power at, at one point, and that's what I'm saying. When when Murda was in power, he didn't say anything about UFOs either when he was a conservative. But uh, McGuire did go talk to Murda about it because he wanted mm-hmm. to know. He talked to a few people that I'd given him advice to to go talk to. That's the big thing here is that. Um, 
you don't really have any power until you're in the government. And then when you're in the government, you're suddenly speaking on behalf of the government and nobody wants to step forward and make a, make a, a bold statement. Like we had Paul Hellier was very vocal, but he was uh, out of the government then. He didn't have anything to lose. So uh, I really acknowledge the fact that um, McGuire is very open. I was very surprised because I, as Dave pointed out, I had conversations with his assistant. Uh, I provided them the, the the Wilbur Smith files. I provided them the Stanton Friedman files, and I'm I'm very I'm very surprised how open he was with the material. He I thought he would be sort of you know hedging his uh, answers about talking to uh, put off and to Lou Elizondo and stuff, and he didn't. He he basically spelled out what what I was told behind the scenes had happened. Sean, I want to ask you a quick question because you have an understanding of how this is working with the United States military, and yet during the conversation with Larry McGuire, we we heard him say that like up here in Canada, everything seems to be in different places, in different filing cabinets. Nothing is together. Do you think up here in Canada, knowing the way our military is different than than the American military, that there is a chance that the military up here in Canada may be a little bit more forthright with information comparatively to what we see happening in the United States? Well, it's possible. I, I you know, I the United without you know taking us down a, a tangent, the the U.S. military is one of the largest economies in the world. Um, so, so, and no offense to our brothers up North, but comparing the two is, isn't really fair. I think that, um, I think that the Canadian military would most certainly be able to be more forthcoming and probably more quickly organize their compartmentalized and stovepipe efforts underneath something that we could all recognize quicker. Um, but I, I do think this is where we have to, we have to make sure that we don't let you know, something positive like being Five Eyes partners allow the Canadian military to hide behind America's skirts the way that, that Britain likes to. Um, we, we have to put the pressure on the Canadians to do just what we just said. You have a smaller house. You have less files, presumably. So you should be quicker on the spot with your with your answers back to your people. Great. Can I speak to that, Dave? Yeah, please do. Um, the Canadian, I think the problem you have is that the Canadians really don't have any, um, anybody that's really in the know that that's interested in the subject. You have the Department of Transport that was 1950. You had the, the National Research Council. It's always been split up where there's been various agencies have stuff. And he talked about a lot about Chris Rakowski. That's just file stuff. That's the same stuff. If you go to National Research Council or to uh, the Department of Transport. It's all just citing files. And all you need in order to run this, if, you, if you're running this like from an intelligence point of view, all you need is one person inside the, the Canadian, Canadian Air Force, inside the Navy. You don't need everybody knowing what's going on. And that's how I think it would work in a compartmentalized thing. I think that the vast majority of people absolutely have no clue what's going on in the military. I even had, I brought this up with Paul Hellyer when I confronted Paul Hellyer he was very upset about the 1967 speech he'd made about the fact that Canada had opened a, a base in 1954 for UFOs to land. He was very upset with me. And, and, and he said, I didn't know what was going on. He said, I was Minister of Defense. He said, there were some sighting files. I was busy putting the, all the forces together into one force. He said, I had no clue what was going on. And I think that's the, that's the problem in Canada. Nobody really knows what's going on except maybe one guy inside the Air Force or wherever it is, inside defense, who actually reports to the United States. 
That's all you need. You don't need everybody to know what's going on. And I think that's why you have such um, such a, a, a vast array of different agencies working on it because nobody really has any responsibility. It's the same thing in the United States. Who's actually running the show? You have mm-hmm. the, the Air Force doesn't know what's going on and the, the Navy, they've only been doing their sightings. And that's what you get is you get mm-hmm. this, this thing and there's somebody at the top and there's one guy in the Navy, one guy in the Air Force who's reporting everything up to whoever's running the show. And in the United States, we don't know what's running, who's running the show. And I, I can almost guarantee you there's maybe five guys who know what's going on in, in Canada. The rest of them don't need to know what's going on. And they, they have no clue what's going on. My father was was flew Hellier around. He was Department of Transport. He had a sighting. He didn't know what was going on. None of the people in his office knew what was going on. And I think that's the whole deal is nobody knows what's going on. Well, and let me remind everybody that that is the that is one of the the metaphorical, if we're reading into it, purposes of the UAPTF is is that is a task force that was told find out what's going on. They had to start somewhere, and I know we you know we've all recently got done talking about how we weren't exactly happy about all of it. You know, we've got details we liked, and and, and we saw spots that look like soft obfuscation on their part. Um, you know, some of those questions, yeah. Did you know? Oh, well, I never heard of that. You know, it kind of went over kind of cold. But that's what we set that task force up for was because people looked around and saw that stovepiped effort. And, and Grant, I, I can't I can't speak on, you know, the one guy here and the one guy there. I think down here it's going to be a little bit more um, a little bit more comprehensive than that. But it's a big apparatus. So that that makes for a lot of stovepipes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what people have to realize. It's it's very compartmentalized, and you can be as Lou Elizondo pointed out. His boss didn't know what was going on, and right. that's how it works. People have to realize that the, the it, this is the as Wilbur Smith, the, the only real document that came out of Canada of any significance was the one of the few top secret documents that ever came, came out, and that was Wilbur Smith's document. And he he pointed out the 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 fact that. That you know that this was the most highly classified subject in the United States, rated higher than the H bomb. And that was in 1950, two years before they detonated the first H bomb. This is a highly compartmentalized subject, and 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 it would be like if you go to to the high guys, they'd say, "No, hell no, we're not giving them anything," and they're going to put up the blockade, and they think it's national security. It's like I, I posted on Facebook the other day, um, Kit Green who went to see Dr. Eric Walker, who we did the book on. Eric Walker knew what was going on. And Kit Green went to him and he said, I'd like to know uh, uh, what's going on. And he had goes cleared by the CIA to go in there and talk to him. And he said, give me two reasons why I should tell you what's going on. And and Kit Green says, he, he told him and he said, apparently I didn't give the right answer. He threw him out of the office. And that was mm-hmm. Kit Green. And that's the whole mm-hmm. deal. As he, as he said to us, curiosity is not sufficient need to know why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity? You're never going to be given the answer. So give it up. And that's what people got to realize is that the people at the top actually believe that this is properly classified and they don't care if some committee wants it or whatever, they're going to do whatever they can to stop it because it, they see this as the highest level of national security. I want to ask uh, Sean first and then uh, Nicole will get you in here as well. And Grant following up, one of the things that uh, Larry Maguire brought up is eventually, once this gets onto the parliamentary floor, that Canada does need to set up its own UAP task force. Sean, I mean, you have firsthand knowledge of how that's going in the United States. Can Canada have a separate UAP task force on its own for its own country? Is that beneficial, or does it have to be a joint effort with the United States? You know, I have to say that the sovereignty of Canada 
is the question here. And what's Canada going to stand up for for themselves? Um, I, I certainly wouldn't want another country dictating what I investigated about this subject in my own within the bounds of my own um, um, country. Um, I understand that we have agreements and partnerships, um, so I, I would have to look into them more to actually find out what the letter of the law would be there, because there may be a, a a chain of command that has been you know agreed upon of some kind. But I have to say that this is a this is not just a military issue. So um, I would have to say that inter- let me I digress. Internally, you'd have to make your own task force. You guys have to have an internal investigation. You're not part of the United States as much as I wish you guys were. You know, you're really cool, but we, you have to do it yourself. You have to have a task force. You have to look into your own files because there's no way that that stuff's ever going to come out otherwise. So to to for the Canadian people to look at that investigation as it, as it unfolds and say, well, it's being overseen by Americans. What does that say about the sovereignty of the Canadian people? So I hope it doesn't go that way. Nicole, what's your thoughts? Um, Well, actually this has been kicking around for me um, since our hearings kind of brought this new element of wanting to work together with NASA and NOAA and, you know, Space Force really stepping things up. Is there an equivalent in Canada? Because I sort of see this as like um, marijuana legalization across the country. You know, we're seeing different forms of it trickle down across states. So, I mean, this is kind of starting in the United States. Canada is going to go, oh, well, they did that, so let's do this. Brazil is going to go, well, that's exactly what we're going to do. France is going to say something like, we've been doing this for 30 years already. And, you know, so on. So that's what I guess I pose to you Canadians right now is, is there this next step already at play in Canada to where they can rapid fire, get this in motion, or are they going to drag their feet like the UAPTF? Well, we'll soon find out. Grant Cameron, we got you for another half an hour here, and we're going to get Grant's response as well as much more. Sean Cahill, Grant Cameron, Nicole Sackage, Victor Vigiani is somewhere out there in space trying to hook up. <laughs> He can't find his satellite in order to do so. Where's his Hubble? Where is his Hubble? But we are taking on a serious, serious topic tonight as Canada enters a UAP conversation. The Canadian government is talking behind the scenes about UFOs and where this subject is going. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio. The second half of the show is next. All right, we're clear. Okay, Dave. Yes. <laughs> the only reason I came on, I wanna, I wanna sell my rock here. Start the bidding starts at a hundred bucks. You talked about it in the last hour. You know what it is? Hold on. Now. I'll throw down a hundred to get things started. What do I got to put it in the super chat? <laughs> <laughs> it is from Falcon Lake. Really? There's only been a hundred oh. people on the site. This is actually a piece of the rock that the UFO was sitting on. It started to shatter the top of the rock. So we were there with a film crew, and there's been less than 100 people on the site. 
So I started wow. filling my pocket with rock. And then Desta started, she saw what I was doing. She started taking rocks. So this is a piece. The UFO foot <laughs> may actually have been sitting right on this rock. This is from the Falcon Lake site where the where the UFO was sitting. Hundred bucks. Hey. Didn't, really didn't cool. our didn't the spaced out radio artist just do something on Falcon Lake? Wasn't he painting that? I don't or am know. Am I wrong? I, I don't think so. That's amazing, Grant. I will give you a hundred dollars. Nobody else has to budge. <laughs> it's it's it was quite the scene, especially when the guy told me there's been less than hundred people on the site. I, I think it's coming up in documentary. By it came from Rob Freeman, who was at the uh, big event at the uh, Ooh. with uh, Sean last week. Yep. Hi, Victor. Uh, Hello, Victor. Victor, Victor Vigiani is here from Zland Communications or in Canada, Zedland Communications. Zedland. Yep. Uh, Thomas Zedland. Fessler has a question for you, Grant. Why are the non-human entities ramping up their activity? Um, well, it's a it's a gradual uh, re- revelation. They started in 1890 saying they were from Mars. Then they said they were from Uranus. And then they said they were from Zeta Reticuli. And, and they're building it up. And this is this is their disclosure as well. They're the ones that started the whole thing. And they're not ETs. You mentioned I will absolutely put all my money down. I'll put my little rock down. It will turn out not to be ETs. If you take a look at To The Stars Academy, it was Lou Elizondo. It was Mellon. It was Semi Van. It was Put Off. It was Eric Davis. And none of them called it ET. They called them the others because that's the that I say is the big mystery. It's not ET. It's going to be something completely different. Or Jacques Vallée said, this is going to be much more complex than ETs. Victor, how did you enjoy what? how did you enjoy hour one with Larry? Uh, it was it was good. It was uh, um, I, I agree that Grant uh, kind of described it well. He um, uh, he outlined things as he as he knows them, and, and uh, I, I'm I'm sort of um, of the opinion that, and I was going to ha- have to ask you the question, you know. Would he be able to admit that he knows um, not enough to really come forward in a way that's going to convince anybody in any one of the parties uh, to take him seriously? Does he really know enough and does he have access to information about uh, what these UAPs are, uh, where they're from, what technologies they're using? Uh, he, he really he, he put on his dancing shoes, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, it, very similar to to what uh, the people at the UAP hearing did in Washington, the Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly Act that they put on uh, was was amazing. Now I don't blame Larry for for dancing around the issues because I really don't think he knows a lot about what's going on. Um, he needs to really become fully vested in this issue and realize that in order for this issue to come forward in order for questions to be asked on the floor of the House of Commons uh, to the to the Minister of Defense and anybody else in, in, in CSIS and, and directed questions and putting people on the spot. Right now, um, Larry doesn't have enough information to do all of those kinds of things. I respect what he's done. I respect what he's doing. My conversations with Drew indicate that uh, Drew is extremely knowledgeable about this information, and it's going to take a lot of time for, for Larry to get up to speed with what's really happening 
uh, with respect to um, to this to the entirety of the issue, not just the UAP issue, uh, but the issues of, of technology, of how these craft move back and forth, <clears throat> all the things that they're exhibiting with respect to technology. And if Larry can make that case clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, the technology issue clearly, I think people will perk up. They're, they're not going to perk right. up on about uh, ETs or extraterrestrials yet. They might. They might eventually, you know, uh, right. they might talk about the abduction phenomenon or the experiences phenomenon. They might. They might begin talking about consciousness, but it's nowhere near the time to bring those issues right. forward. Victor, they I'm going to get you to hold be- on right there because we are going to come sure. back to okay. the show here in three seconds. Okay. past the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for tuning us in as we talk UFOs over Canada. we got a great panel for you. We'll bring them in here momentarily. I want to remind you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives on YouTube or any major podcast network. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram, Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on with the panel tonight, reacting to Member of Parliament Larry McGuire from the Conservative Party of Canada coming out and bringing UFOs to the topic of of government officials within Ottawa, Canada's capital. Joining us tonight, the legendary Grant Cameron from Zeland Communications, Victor Vigiani, Sean Cahill, and Nicole Sackich. And, and I want to get right to it because Larry McGuire was very hesitant to say where these craft are from, but it was a very, I, I'm going to use the term American government type answer where we know it's not from here, but he was very afraid to say where it was from. It reminds me of the early stages of what the To the Stars Academy was trying to say about this whole topic. To take it in phases. And, Sean, you and I have talked about these phases before. Do you see, because of the infancy of this subject right now within the Canadian Parliament, that they have to take it, Sean, with infant legs? Well, yeah, I do. I really do. And, I mean... You you know, as as Victor said, we're not ready for the consciousness piece right now in the mainstream. Um, that's why folks like myself and Rob and others were, were where we were this weekend working on what we're working on. Because like like, you know, somebody else is working on something ahead of time. You know what I mean? And that's that's basically who we swim in the pool with. But there's two sides to this. There is a nuts and bolts side. And that's something that people can wrap their head around. That's what government folks and military folks can wrap their heads around. And that we have to start there with those baby steps. People have to be given a chance to tiptoe up to this the way that we we did. You know, um, a lot of people were talking a few weeks back about the learning curve surrounding this this topic. You know, there's a lot of people getting into it very quickly and, and very good at it, learning a lot of things. But unfortunately, those are the folks that are informing leadership to, for the most part. Leadership's not going to the pool of the, the people who've been working on it for for decades at a time, like, like Grant and other folks here. So in a lot of cases, we're the people 
in this room right here that are informing those new thought leaders, those staffers, those assistants, those, those other, you know, congressional personnel and government uh, aspects. But it, it's a, it's like this tiptoeing race, you know, because you want to get there, but you don't want to go too fast that you scare people away. So I think this, we're on a good track. And I think that if, if Canada and, and other international partners mirror in a way what we did, I think they'll find the same success. Victor, let's get your opinion of that. Well, I, I, I completely agree with what Sean is saying. It's it's uh, and and your analogy of of infant infant legs because there are different levels of understanding and different levels of how people will um, will interpret or internalize this information. Uh, there's a certain reluctancy uh, within the human family to accept the fact that this is going on. And I have always made the analysis, and and I use my background as a school principal. Uh, with respect to this issue, which is the parallels are amazingly similar with respect to the uh, to, to the issue of child abuse. Uh, when I was a principal uh, in the early 80s, the government here in Ontario brought in legislation to address the issue of child abuse. Before that, it was a, a non sequitur. You did not speak about children were not allowed to disclose uh, what was happening in their homes, the sexual abuse that was going on, the physical abuse that was going on. And all of a sudden, the nurses within Ontario came to schools with programs that allowed children, uh, puppet programs, and different kind of theater uh, presentations that allowed children to come forward to talk about this. And when we had one of the, the programs at, at my school, St. Matthew's School here in Toronto, um, the day that we had the program, we had grade ones to four in the, in the gym, and then we had grades five to eight in the gym in two separate performances. And after that performance, after both performance, we had 87 disclosures of children who came forward that said that they were raped by their uncle who put their hand down my pants, and right. my dad hits my mother and me with a shoe every morning before he goes to work. 87 disclosures. Now, that's a, a, that's a pretty kind of powerful thing to, to acknowledge. And we're going through the same kind of thing with respect to this issue. People are fearful of talking about it. Politicians won't touch it. But eventually, politicians are going to see that they'll have to touch it, that they'll have to get into what's going on and dismiss this whole Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly approach that we saw at the hearings in Washington, D.C., and to some degree, how Larry managed some of your questions this evening. That's going to be a thing of the past very, very soon, and eventually people are going to be talking about this like they talk about the issue of child abuse and other really important issues like abortion and like uh, women's rights. It will be uncovered completely, but it's going to take some time for people to get there. All right, Greg Cameron, let's bring you in here on the subject. I mean, do you see this getting bipartisan uh, type of support within the Canadian parliamentary system, or do you see the game starting to be played with this? Well, no, if they get it, they get it in front of a committee, then it's all it's going to be a free-for-all because you know how Canadian politics works. I mean, everybody goes in there, and it's a ma- the matter of getting the government party to have the hearing. They're the ones that have to approve the hearing and bring the people in and stuff like that. Once you get there, I, but I still maintain, as we go back to this thing, I still maintain when you go to Lou Alessandro and you say, Lou, where are they from? He says, I don't know. Lou ain't lying. They don't know where this is from. 
This is much more complex than people think. That's why I would give McGuire the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Anybody who says they know, it, like the Canadians. The Canadian alien, was his name was Afa. And I remember Afa claimed he was from Uranus. And he said there was 500 million people on Uranus. And I remember Wilbur Smith's assistant, the metallurgist guy, said, let me tell you what, don't ever think for a second that Wilbur Smith and I believe this guy was from Uranus. We've got to realize that this is way more complex. I think McGuire is telling what he knows. He doesn't know that much. I don't think any of them know. It's almost like Jim Semivan, who is behind this entire disclosure. He's the guy that started this thing in 2016. He was face to face with the beings and he said, there does not appear to be any there there. Does that sound like he's lying or he's not? That sounds like he doesn't know and nobody knows. Yes, we know there's UFO sightings. Yes, we know there's hardware. Yes, we know there's bodies. But beyond that, I don't think they really know too much of anything. One other comment I'd like to quickly make. The difference between the Americans and the Canadians is Americans are going to look more at, at national security issues. So what you see is the hearings are all about space command and, and they're interfering with our military and all this kind of stuff. In Canada, we, we, we couldn't care less about that. It's about hockey. So what, what does McGuire say? He says, I'd like to get... Who did he say he wanted to run? He said, I didn't want the military to run it. And I give him full credit for that because that's the scary part is when you get politicians who start handing money to the to the the people in Lockheed and stuff like that. What is he said? He said, I would like the head scientist to run the thing. So that's the way it's looked at in Canada. This is a scientific issue. It's not a military issue. It's not a national security issue. And that's what John Podesta had pr proposed when he was asked about, it. he said he wanted Biden to put in the, the, the head of the, uh, the uh, OSTP or the, the, uh, the office of science and technology policy, which is the science advisor to the president. That didn't happen. It's still going national security. It's all about military in the United States. And he did not bring up the military. He said he'd like the head scientist. So I give him all the applause in the world for doing that. It's a scientific issue. It's not a military issue. Grant, I want to ask you again, and then Victor follow up. What is the difference between disclosure in the United States and disclosure in Canada? I think disclosure in Canada is more an issue of this is really cool. What do you think this is? And it's been hijacked in the United States by the military contractors, by the people who want money. And that's what Eisenhower warned about in his last speech. He said, beware the military industrial congressional complex. And that means that once you get politicians in there and you've closed the cycle and they start handing money to the military contractors and the military is involved you're never going to stop it because if you take a look at and and drew mentioned this when i talked to drew the assistant for mcguire he's talking about talking to somebody about the f-35 in the united states which canada is sort of fighting about buying this high-priced jet uh and and he the, the if you take a look at how it works the f-35 jet fighter is made in 46 different states and why is that because if they're 10 million dollars overrun on a jet Nobody's going to say anything because everybody's got their hand in the pot. And that's the, 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 the thing that fears me is that military is going to get the politicians on side. And then the military, that's where the money comes from. So that's what I see is happening in the United States. They're using this fear thing because they want the money. So the money's going to start flowing, but it's going to be flowing to the, to the black budget programs. And what you see in the United States is they're, they're having these committee things. But what are we learning? Nothing. We, oh, there's 144 sightings. We can't tell you about the sightings. It's all still black. It's all still run 
by the people behind the scenes. And that's the scary part is, is if it's run by these guys that have run it all the time, all they're going to do is be getting all the taxpayer money and you're told just shut up, pay your taxes and let us do what we're doing. We haven't learned anything in the United States as to these hearings. It's all still blocked. And that's the part where we got to get it into a committee where people get to talk and it's, it's got nothing to do with military. Victor, what is the difference between disclosure Canada-wise and American-wise? Well, there's a big difference uh, with respect to, I I guess, the culture. First of all, there's the cultural differences uh, between us and and the United States. Um, Right now, if you're talking about the current culture in the United States, uh, in in the context of what's going on there with respect to... um, to how their 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 constitution is is totally misaligned and, and misunderstood by a, a huge portion of the American public. They just do not understand what their constitution is all about. Uh, democracy is in a threat position. Uh, the, the the very uh, leadership in the United States is under threat. So th- that that is extremely difficult, uh, a very difficult context for which any kind of disclosure. And I, I'd like to use the word acknowledgement to come forward. Uh, I think acknowledgement is is a, is a much better uh, descriptor than, than disclosure. Um, uh, disclosure is, is sort of a a word that describes letting a secret out of the bag, uh, which has already happened. Acknowledgement means that we are engaged in open discourse about this issue, and we see some of that going on in the United States. So that that's one of the things that's going on there. Culturally, in Canada, we, we are, are a different we are a different family. A different, we have a different understanding uh, about how we operate our, in our, within our government. I'm not saying it's better, uh, but it's, it's a more open format within government. But th- that said, I, I need to kind of uh, frame, frame my comments uh, for your listeners, David, in saying that if we leave this issue to government and science, we'll never get anywhere. Government has no business in this issue, okay? And neither does science in this issue. And there are a lot of people uh, around who will agree with me uh, on that. John Mack was one of them. He says, if we leave it to government and and to science, we won't get anywhere. We need to create an open discourse. First of all, the kind of discourse is going on right now. The way that the people that are hearing my words and people that are hearing your words have to take this on as a family, as a human family, to create a discourse so that we're all talking about this issue and that we all realize that we're dealing with an off-world situation, be it interdimensional, be it whatever it happens to be. And as soon as that open discourse uh, takes place, then I think whoever these beings, these off-world creatures being, whatever you want to call them are, will kind of understand that we are attempting as a human family to deal with this issue among the family, not with government, not with science, but among the human family and the consciousness among us as, as a family. And once whoever these beings are realize that, that we are being prepared to make contact, then contact will occur directly from whoever these beings are to us as a human family. That's how it's going to happen. And I have no faith in government that's going to create any kind of situation, be it party politics or whatever. And I have no faith in science to understand this. So uh, we are dealing with an entity, as Grant probably said uh, very, very clearly, that we really don't know who who they are. They could be interdimensional. They could be from whatever, you know, galaxy, whatever. We just don't know. But we have to exhibit 
the the understanding among the human family that we're ready to make contact in some way. And that contact will eventually come once this open discourse uh, that I described earlier uh, happens in a very clear and international way. Right. And I've got much more to say about that in terms of, of borders and countries, but I'll leave, I'll leave that aside for now. Perfect. Thank you for that. Sean, I want to ask you about this because you are very understanding of the American side of this. The Canadian side, to me, and listening to Grant Victor, it's a little bit more lax. It's a little bit more, hey, let, let's let's get some understanding and, and and going with this, whether it's politics, whether it's the experiencers, whether it's the scientific community. How do you see that differing on a disclosure end? Because disclosure, to me, has a different meaning for every person who has either eyewitnessed or experienced the phenomena compared to those who have never experienced but have an interest in the topic. Well, you know from, from talking to me for the last couple of years and us being friends and not pulling any punches when, when, we, when we're working on this, that I'm not a big fan of a lot of the semantics that, that the guys were using, you know, I'm batting clean up now, so I get to talk about everybody. But um, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of a lot of the semantics. I want to say I agree pretty much with the overall message. But I mean, I'm going to make a, a joke right now. But I mean, I had lunch with government and science last week, and they told me that you know, I there's no dude named government. There's no person named science. Stop saying it like that. Because everyone I work with is in government and science, and they want to work on this, and they're very interested. So that demonization of large blocks of leadership has got to stop. Pardon me for railing on that for a minute. But, um, I, but I totally agree with you otherwise. This is a conversation that we all have to have. But let me say this. I've been telling you since I met you that disclosure already happened. And now, finally, we're all agreeing that we don't know what the hell's going on. And that goes all the way up to the top. Because the question is, where are they from? Who do you ask? We have to ask them. And they're not exactly showing up with any consistency. You know, as, as um, Grant mentioned earlier, you know, if, if these communications are legitimate and they're telling us they're from Uranus, well, how about you follow that up with a little explanation of how you're living in a gas giant and why that would make sense? You know, the, these... These little bits and snippets that we have over the years. Well, they're from Zeta Reticuli. How the hell do we know any of that? We don't have, we don't, we can't trace any of this thing back to an origin. So that's why I'm also a fan of Jacques Vallée because he, he talks about, you know, a, a, a slot machine of, of probability sometimes with this and the way that it keeps coming up. So let, again, don't want to keep railing on stuff, just want to get a lot of information densely packed in. I think it's going to come down, unfortunately, to semantics. We're going to have to find the right words that make sense to everybody at the same time. So for some people, it's, it's already been disclosure because they're not being presumptuous about origins and things like that. Acknowledgement is great. I, I love acknowledgement. If we can get the government just to say something crazy is going on and we don't get it and we, and we can't control it, we need more help, you know, that, that's a great place to start to me. Um, but it's, it can't just be the conversation any of us hope and dream for or want. It has to be the one that's real. And, and so that's, that's why I've always leaned on nuts and bolts. But the, the other side is absolutely important. That's why I was at the Monroe Institute for this whole past weekend. And, and the public isn't ready for that, but the spaced out radio audience is. And so that's where it's going to start. And it's going to evangelize out from there and in other places too. Pardon me for using the word evangelize because I don't want to lean in too hard. But hey, 
end rant, and I'll, I'll step off the soapbox. All right, Greg Cameron, let's bring you back in. Nicole, I'm not ignoring you. I just I know our time is limited with Grant here, and I want to make sure we get uh, Grant in here as, as much as we can with about five minutes to go. Grant, the idea that the Canadian government needs to bring all facets together from CSIS, the RCMP, the DND, NAV Canada, Transport Canada, and every group available to have that outside of Chris Rutkowski, who seems to get every piece of paper put his way in and uh, kudos to him for building that bridge. Do you see in the next couple of years where we do have a, a branch or all of this information coming together so we could start gluing some of these puzzle pieces together or being made more accessible to the mainstream public? Um, well, once again, I think it comes down to this committee. If they can get the committee going, then you can call in witnesses. You can bring in Lou Elizondo. You can raise consciousness. With, that's what it's really all about here. It's not really finding out direct answers. You raise consciousness. You get people talking about it. And it's like gay rights. It's like uh, gay marriage. It's like African-American rights. When enough people talk about it, people are going to make the right decision. You just got to keep talking. There was a lot of bad jokes made about African-Americans and gays and stuff. And and then it just suddenly changes. It just suddenly flips and, and you get guys like Cheney saying, oh yeah, gay marriage is okay. And that's the way it works. You need to raise the consciousness. So that's what I think really has to happen. In terms of the, the, the departments, you're not going to have anybody in any of these departments that knows what's going on, or if they do know what's going on, they ain't volunteering to go in. So it's 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 not a thing where everybody's hiding the 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 biscuit and we just got to find those people and they're all going to go together. I my my father was in the government. He was a pilot for the for the Canadian government, and and I knew people in his office. And I don't think anybody except a couple of people really know what's going on. Most of them could not care less. They they, they have no idea. The same in the United States. Until you get to the high ranks, majority of people have no clue what's going on. They're doing their little job. They don't know what's going on in the next office. It's like I, I always make the joke. I worked at the University of Manitoba. I had keys to eight pre- vice president's office. I had the keys to the president's office. I had keys to human resources. I had keys to payroll. I had keys to almost every room in the thing. I left six months before a major buyout. Do you think I knew what was going on at the university? No, I only knew my little thing. And and I didn't. I, you think everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows their little job. So I don't think you're going to get, you need this thing where you have a platform where people can come. And that's what's happening in the United States by Jim Semivan starting this whole thing. You got this thing, the New York Times, and even McGuire says it was the New York Times article that got him going. And I, re- I remember when, when Steve Bassett, I tell the story, Steve Bassett had an X conference and they had, were going on this thing. When do you think disclosure is going to take place? And everything, six months, one year. And they came to me and I said, 2042. I never in my life in 47 years ever believed what happened would happen in when that New York Times article came out. It was sort of like everybody said, yeah, we know that. Okay, let's go to the next thing. It was nobody jumped off a building. Nobody committed suicide. The stock market didn't melt down. It moved and things have changed. And I've been in this for 47 years. More things have happened in the last five years than 47. This thing is rolling along. I have no problem that this thing is going to unravel. McGuire is a big part of what's going on in Canada. And it's the same as, as, as I disagreed with a lot of stuff that Paul Hellyer said. But because Paul Hellyer was a former minister of defense, everybody listened to him and it raised the consciousness. And when McGuire starts talking, a lot of people are going to listen. There's a lot of newspapers going to pick it up and it's going to raise the consciousness. And if once you get a committee and the discussion starts, then you can 
can bring in Lou Elizondo, Mellon, all these people and put them under oath and the thing will roll. I'm very optimistic of what's happening. Uh, with one minute to go, Grant, you think we're going to see hearings in Canada? I don't know. I was wait- I was waiting for McGuire to say that. It kept going about, you know, we'd like to have these hearings. He's the guy that's got to initiate it. I don't think he has to really... I think he's much more versed than I thought he was versed on the subject. I don't think he has to really prove it. I just think he has to make some sort of, that's the way it works in the Canadian parliament is you stand up, you know how that works in question period and you pose a question to the other side and everybody in Canada is watching. That's what he's got to do. He's got to step forward and make a, a, on the, the floor of the house of commons and request the committee and put the government on, put their feet to the fire and try to force the hearing until there's a hearing, nothing's going to happen. But once the hearing starts, it's game over, I think, in Canada. There's just so many people that will come forward. It'll be like uh, TV that everybody wants to watch. I think it'll be – I'm very optimistic. Great. That means most likely we are going to get some Kelly Rudy or Ron McLean calling the shots on this one from Hockey Night in Canada, except Hockey Night or UFO Night in Canada. I hope that doesn't happen because I can't stand Ron McLean, man. Cannot stand well, Ron McLean. You're going to get some famous person come forward and say, yeah, me too. I mean, that's the way it works. It happened in the United States. True. People start to Very true. They start to roll. We're going to say goodnight to Grant Cameron and Minty Hyperspace, a.k.a. Sean Cahill. We're going to continue on with Nicole Sackage, Victor Pisciani, in Hour 3 of Spaced Out Radio, Canada and UFOs. It's game on. Spaced Out Radio, right after this. Where's my wallet? <laughs> Great job. Were you there, Victor? Were you there, Victor? You know what this is? Be right back, guys. What's that? That's from the uh, that's from Falcon Lake. That's from the actual rock where the UFO was sitting. The film crew, uh, uh, Rob Freeman came in with a film crew. We went in. There's been less than 100 people at the site. And the, the top of the rock is all fracturing. So I started grabbing pieces of the rock. So the UFO foot may have actually been sitting right on this thing. So I put it up and, and Nicole has offered me a hundred bucks for it. Wow. <laughs> hey fellas, I, I got to so, go. Um, I just I'm got back at eight you. o'clock tonight from, uh, from DC. Uh, I, I was, I was only in DC for the plane. I was out at Monroe with a bunch of folks that I'm sure we'll all hear about soon. Grant, I know you got a lot of photos sent to you. Um, we had an amazing time. I'll tell you that we we didn't we didn't summon the mother the mothership, but we but we did uh, knock the the random number generators uh, off their block every time that we got together. Wow! So um, there's a lot lot more to come, but uh, yeah. we had a great time. It was really great to talk to all you guys. I wish I could yeah. stick around, Grant. I hope to talk to you later this week. Great. Well, see you. See you, Sean. Great to meet you. Okay. Have a great night, you guys. Grant, Grant, could you hang on for a second? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For a second. I just want to make you aware of something that um, that uh, uh, I, I've spoken to Kathleen Martin about, um, and I had a spontaneous uh, communication with an individual from the United States, and she has told me uh, a story that it is absolutely unbelievable that uh, her father, uh, actually her, her stepfather, was one of the divers uh, that went into Shag Harbor. Oh, yeah. The night of the crash. Okay, he was one of, I think four or five uh, divers that went into the craft down to see the craft, and after he came out, uh, and I wish Dave was here to hear this, but I'll tell him in a minute that um, 
several days later, he and uh, one other person were summoned to the office uh, of Curtis LeMay through the United States Navy. And they met with Curtis LeMay at his cottage in his, uh, the office uh, that he has, a cottage that he has. And this witness and the, the, the diver um, were brought into his office and they were both threatened by Curtis LeMay never to speak about this issue again. And I'm working on this with, uh, uh, with Kathleen to try to make sense of it all. So I just want you to know about that uh, as, a, as a bit of information. There's a whole lot more to the story than this. But I just want you to just file that. And I'm going to be seeing how far this thing goes because the intrigue surrounding all of this and what was seen down under the water uh, with two other craft, two, with one additional craft, and the way it was damaged is absolutely unbelievable. And what happened uh, uh, during that period of time is I, I, I just had trouble wrapping my head around it. I just, I just want to let you know that that's going on. And I, I'm nowhere near any kind of conclusions about it. But uh, the information that I have and the, the information that Kathleen has is uh, just absolutely astounding. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Hopefully he's got something in writing rather than just a, you know, a, a statement to his daughter. Well, we're trying. We're trying to get. Um, we're trying to get him to say something. I don't know if he has anything writing. Well, or he's not. still alive. He's still alive. Apparently, yep. Oh, there you go. All right, right on. Grant Cameron. Okay. Good night. Grant. Take thank care. You, thank you, my brother. Much love to okay. you. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye, Doctor UFO Phenomenon. There you go. Boss. Grant Cameron, everybody. Your check's in the mail. It's in the mail. It's hard to call. I may give you a piece. That's worth like 10 gold stars, right? (laughs) That's dollars. You take American money. I know you do. Yeah, real money. Real money. (laughs) Bye. Gotta love Grant Cameron. Gotta love Sean Cahill. Gotta love Nicole Sackich and Victor Vigiani for hanging on out. We got an important conversation the next 45 minutes here, and uh, it's going to be amazing, freaking amazing. I'm really happy about tonight, Victor. Very happy about tonight. How, how long we got about to showtime? Uh, we got about 90 seconds, just over 90 seconds. Okay. Just want to get another bottle of water, okay? Yeah, you run. We got time. This has been fantastic. Great audience tonight. Great guests. What a great night of radio here on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you all for tuning on into this extremely memorable night tonight. Couldn't have done it without all of you here listening on in and making this show extremely, extremely uh, memorable for all of us here. Yeah, I love it, Grandmaster. Epic show. That is the way to put it. That is the way to put it. I have been working on getting Larry McGuire and, and Nicole and and Victor know this. I've been, I've been working on this for over two years. Hi, mad scientist. Happy. How are you? Over two years I've been working on this and there's still more to come out. And I could tell everybody that I, I am going to be having further conversations with other uh, politicians behind the scenes up here in Canada uh, very, very soon regarding this subject. And yes, Victor and Grant are both Canadian. 
And I want to say a big thank you tonight to Thomas Times 2, Dry Toast, Picks, Obi, Grant Times 2, Victor, Cherokee, Sally, Ken, Bob, and Carl for the amazing Super Chats. Love the support of SOR and love the support of everybody who's given us a thumbs up, thumbs down. Hit that subscribe button. We're going to rock and roll here in about five seconds with our number three. And let's push it. We got a lot more information coming. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for tuning on into this historic night of radio here on the Mighty SOR. We very much appreciate it. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Now, Pegacle, no Pegacle is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on with our panel tonight, looking in and going over the words of Member of Parliament Larry McGuire from the Conservative Party of Canada, who's really breaking open this story of UAP over Canadian airspace and nuclear facilities. We are joined by Victor Vigiani from Zeland Communication, author, researcher, and part of the Spaced Out Radio team. Nicole Sakic is here as well. And I want to ask you, Victor, and get right into it with the fact that we have, uh, I asked Grant Cameron this right before the break, I'll ask you now. Uh, we have so many different facets of information and, and files upon files of information that are stored at Transport Canada, NAV Canada, CSIS, the RCMP, uh, the Department of National Defense, other uh, conglomerates and organizations as well at alphabet agencies. How do we start getting all of this put together to start solving this puzzle piece? Well, <laughs> I can I can answer that question pretty accurately uh, using using a uh, a bit of a metaphor if you if you want and i think you and i i'm not sure about nicole but you and i are probably of a generation where you might remember going into one of these large department stores and uh walking through the 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 audio visual section of the of of the eatons or simpsons or the bay or whatever and you remember the large wall where there's all the tvs on it how many TVs were up there, Dave? 25, 30, 50 TVs all up <laughs> in the same wall, okay? And you stand there as a kid, as a 10-year-old, and some of the stations were, some of the TVs were on one station uh, or another station or whatever it happens to be. And that little kid is sitting there looking at those argumentatively uh, 25 televisions. And how does a 10-year-old make sense of the of this of the sensory input from all 25 of those televisions he can't and there's no way even an adult 
an adult couldn't make sense of all the sensory input that's coming forward from those 25 or 50 televisions. That's what we're confronted with here. We're, 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 and you just outlined it very, very carefully in the, in the question to me. We have to try to put these pieces of the puzzle together. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, right now, there are probably four or five different lenses through which this information is coming to us. If there's a cultural lens of disbelief, there's, there's a military lens of, of, of this national threat. There's a scientific lens of, oh, these are all just X, Y, and Z craft from wherever. Uh, there's an anthropological lens that these things, these craft, these beings have been around on Earth for hundreds of thousands of years. And some of the anthropological information, as, as crazy as it might sound, is, is, uh, is a lens through which we get information that these beings actually created us. I, I don't know if I believe that or not, but I'm saying that that's a, a lens. And then there's the political lens that, that we have to interpret. So I guess an answer to your question is we've got to sort out those lenses and bring them into closer focus to see, to A, to see what they have in common and which ones to eliminate. And that's where I think that's where I think we're at. And as I said earlier in the program, the only way to do that is to create in Canada. And I think we can do it. And Larry's on the right track with it is create an open discourse, an open narrative within the Canadian context and discuss this thing and just literally sit down at the table like a family would sit down for, for a family meeting and say, okay, let's sort this out. What does it really mean with no political bias and no agendas? What does it really mean to the human family? And what does it mean to us as Canadians? And that's the kind of discourse that I think I got the sense that I think that that's what Larry wants. I, I, I sort of watched his, his, his body language. I watched his eyes. I watched his expression. And I think he's the kind of person He's the kind of personality uh, th that can do this. I think he's a consensus builder. That, that's what I liked about yes. what Larry did. I think he's a consensus, and that's what we need. We don't need a, you know, a, a flag-waving you know, leader kind of thing. We don't need an authoritarian. We need a consensus builder, and I think that's exactly where Larry is. So uh, I guess in answer to your question, I think we can do it, but we're going to have to be very, very circumspect about how we handle it. Nicole, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Um, well, I think it kind of follows suit with what Grant Victor mentioned before and Sean even touched on, um, with these being social movement issues, as well as political issues, military issues, science issues, academic issues, all at play. And I think what we've seen so far with the United States hearing is, I mean, they just hammered over and over and over again, ending the stigmata. And I think that is an important step in reshaping this narrative that I think, honestly, the reshaping of this narrative, I think, started when Hillary Clinton said UAP on, was it Jimmy Kimmel's show? I believe so. Yeah. So this reshaping has been talked about and spoken of over decades. And really it takes people interested in the community and moving it forward and trying to figure it out to reshape it. And yeah, we're all right. There's, there's a lot of irons in the fire right now and nobody really knows how to move it forward. 
except ending the stigmata, they've already said it's been important. It increased the number of reports that they already, that the UAPTF already received. So I think once this stigmata or stigma is taken away, I've done that twice, I think, (laughs) is taken away or lessened, I think we're already starting to see the narrative shift in what is an experience and what is an experience-er and what that really means. And I know Grant's the king of talking documents, but we have dug through correspondence and documents of uh, Cosmic Club working group members where I think it was maybe over a decade ago where they stopped referring to it as ufology and it was more phenomenology. And they, you know, they were looking for phenomenologists, not ufologists. And so that started giving people in the research field more clues to dig on. It's like, well, where are they going with this? It That's where it leads to you know, the psychic abilities and mental capabilities and consciousness like we're talking about now. So we know that narrative needs to be reshaped. It's not, to quote Harry Reid, it's not little green men. (laughs) It's not just flying saucers in the sky. And that is what... It's going to take spiritual leaders, political leaders, social movement leaders to reshape that. But that's why more people have to keep coming up and talking about their truth and what is really happening with the phenomenon. It's not, it's more than just blinky lights in the sky and we will get there. But the baby steps are in play reshaping this whole narrative is in play (laughs) and we just have to keep moving that needle forward like it's happening so quickly like it's just you know (laughs) pedal to the metal (laughs) well you're right nicole i think you're you're exactly right about reshaping this thing um and and it it has gone think back uh now, 35 years, for example, I can do that because I, I'm, I'm that age. I mean, this stuff that we're, that we're talking about right now was unthinkable. It was unthinkable right. in, in the 70s and, and the early 80s. Nobody spoke about consciousness. Nobody sh- spoke about reshaping a narrative. Uh, we were in our infancy and in, in, in our understanding of what might be going on. And in a way, we're still in the infancy. But we are gradually, it's, it's like whittling away at a stick. You're sharpening that point completely and ever just a little bit more each time something happens. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what we talked about earlier, the 2017 article of Blumenthal, uh, Kane and, 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 and Helena mm-hmm. Cooper. I mean, I put a biblical analogy on that one. Everything that happened before 2017, as far as I can recollect and see and understand, was the Old Testament of what this thing called phenomenology or ufology or whatever you want to call it was. That was the Old Testament. 2017 was the New Testament, and we're moving on from that. So that speaks to your point about how we're reshaping 
the, um, the the narrative. And I think Blumenthal and Kane and Cooper, you know, did that. They began this reshaping and it's going to continue. There's going to be other Luis Elizondo's. There's going to be other John Max. There's going to be other people who will help us reshape. I think they're already in. Nicole, you uh, accidentally hit mute on your microphone. I I think there already is other John Max. I think they're in our community now. I think they're starting to emerge. And, you know, torches are being passed. Like, you know, Sean brought up all of these guys going to the Monroe Institute. Well, how long has the Monroe Institute been the place to study consciousness? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is already in academia. It's just not being utilized, you know, in the government. Not yet. Yeah, it's not not part of the larger narrative is what you're saying. They haven't given up on being able to exploit this yet. True. (laughs) When they give up on that, they'll move it on out to... What what Grant brought it up, the, the science advisor to the president. And when it gets into the sciences, that's when it can get into academia. You know, and I'm not saying parts haven't been shuffled through academia, you know, in secret, whatever, and stuff like that. But that's part of changing the narrative, too. We like was it was said earlier I think Sean said it earlier. He knows people in government. He knows the scientists. He knows the interest is there. It's just nobody knows what to do with it yet. And (laughs) is it over in Germany? I think they've, a a college has instituted like the first classes and courses in ufology. Like that's, that's kind of amazing to me, just right in and of itself. It has to start somewhere. Um, I know everybody kind of went on pause during COVID with a lot of things they had to do, but um, Rice University was so busy through COVID with the Archive of the Impossible and those scholars and journalists and people coming together from so many different backgrounds. So, I mean, all these little pieces are at play, but... Yeah, it's the, it's the perfect storm. We all have to do our pieces. Yeah. And I think it does start to an extent down at the family level, like you brought up, um, Victor. I mean, grassroots often start with families sharing their thoughts with each other. And I think now more than ever, experiencers are coming out in their families, talking to their family members about it. I mean... I truly hope the days of like what Nancy Tremaine went through is over. I I hope families rally behind their members that have been vocal these years and thought of as crazy or loony, you know, or I don't want experiencers to continue to think that they're going to end up being some sort of lab rat, (laughs) Uh, you know, and go ahead, Nicole, finish up. I was going to say, I think with the pop pop culture influence of our community, our children are already more accepting of this than ever before. So it's like this next reboot 
of the narrative that we're shaping is already being accepted by the youngest in our communities and in the general population. You know, they, it's, it's almost like their space race to the moon. You know, they want answers to this, you know, and I, they believe it. They think we can get answers. There's no reason that we shouldn't be able to. Victor, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about the history of UFOs in Canada, Canada going back to the research mm-hmm. of, of Wilbert Smith and leading up to today. And I, I mentioned yeah. to Larry McGuire regarding the history that Canada has in UFO uh, reporting and detailing and and researching. It's been impressive. We've also seemed to really been able to hide up until the Canadian Mint created a couple of coins about them, Shag Harbor, Falcon Lake, and other instances where ufology crept into the mainstream. And that those both those incidents happened in 1967. So I mean, the idea behind that this subject is new to Canada or new to politicians is absolutely wrong. But we do have to, in my opinion, bring that history back, much like the Americans have to with Roswell. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, uh, David. Uh, and and the reason that it's that it's salient. Uh, is that the history, the Canadian history about everything that's happened? Uh, you, you know, you mentioned Shag Harbor, you mentioned Falcon Lake, uh, with a number of other kinds of situations. The, the Montreal sighting um, uh, over the hotel, uh, all of these things. Um, uh, that history in itself uh, provides another lens for Canadians to understand that a whole lot of very, very significant things happened in Canada. And uh, we can stand, uh, you know, on the curb and watch the, you know, the, the juggernaut of the United States pass by as they as they manage this issue. Uh, and th- they'll do whatever they do. And Canadians have a way of sort of standing back and watching the parade go by. I think that the history of the Canadian um, UAP UFO phenomenon is something that we have to join the parade. We have to get out there and begin the kinds of dialogues that have been going on uh, in, in, in Germany and in, in the UK and France, uh, uh, even, even in the, in the, um, in South America, the, the, the huge, the huge history that's there. So we have to join that parade. We have to get out there and become part of that narrative. And as Nicole said, that in order to do that, we have to reshape the narrative. And I think we have to understand. And I think that the, the, the magic bullet, as far as I'm concerned, is, in fact, Wilbert Smith and what he did when he went down to Washington to talk to people in the embassy and to the science director. I mean, came, coming back with the fact that, you know, UFOs are real and all the things that, that he said in that document, that to me is is the starting point or could be the starting point uh, for the for Transport Canada to admit that, A, they did that. And once Canadians realize that and Transport Canada was responsible for sending this man down there to find out more. And those are the kinds of contexts that the history provides for us. And if you don't have an understanding of history, uh, the Canadian you know, aspect of it right now with respect to this, this issue, we, we can't move forward in the proper way. So it's, it's almost like, um, you know, holding up your end of the, of the table if, if all the legs collapse, you know. I think Canadians have to do that. We have to hold up. 
what's relevant within history in order to understand and move forward into the future to understand what's really going on. So that's one of the things I think that, you know, you're doing that with your, with your radio program, you are providing an outlet for not only the, you know, where this thing is going, but where it's been. And I think Canadians who are new to this, who are listening to it right now, who are saying, and the Canadians are doing it all the time. And I speak to these Canadian people and what, you know what they ask me, they ask me, you know, and, and the way I try to explain it to them is, Victor, how long has this been going on and why the hell don't I know about it? You know, and that's what journalists are saying to me, the, the good ones that really want to know. So that 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 really kind of indicates there's a hunger out there to know. So in order for me to explain it, I've got to go back to history to provide the context. Absolutely. So history... It, 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 it provides, yeah, it's like a springboard into the next aspect of reshaping the narrative. Because if you don't know the history, you really don't know what's coming, what's coming in, in the future. And that's a very, very important part of what I think Larry McGuire is beginning here. Uh, in, and that's what, you know, Paul Hellyer tried to do that, too. But I think Larry, in, in his own unique way, could be another, um, I guess, extremely important person in, in, in uh, Canadian history with respect to getting all of this thing moving I and getting that. questions on the floor of the House of Commons during question period and asking the Minister of Defence, as she sits in her seat, ask her to stand up and explain what she knows about it, how Sajan was, was briefed, and what the Transport Canada documents tell us and, and, and why does NORAD say, from, directly from Peterson Air Force Base, why does the, was, was their statement to me specifically that the authorization of the fact that 1,800 tracks of interest were captured by NORAD in a five-year period, okay? And if, each year with 75 intercepts each year, have her explain that. And I've got the document that proves that the uh, that the uh, commander of NORAD gave that information in an authorized way to me directly in a document. And I've never heard any talk about that at all. So that's mm-hmm. part of history. And that has to be explained. And if it's explained and spoken about on the floor of the House of Commons, boy, you're going to get a lot of questions after that. I think outside of CTV and, and Saga 960, where we broadcast and your good friend Richard Searitt broadcasts. Mm, right. I don't think the Canadian media really understands this entire topic. They do Doesn't not. have a clue. They don't have a clue. And mm. look, I know before this show, I tweeted major members of the Canadian media who cover politics regarding mm. this. And within 24 hours, Victor, of the U.S. hearings, I did five interviews across Canada regarding UFOs. Not one person asked me about Canada. Not one host, not one journalist asked me about the Canadian side of this. It was, I I was baffled. You're asking a Canadian host of a Canadian show about what's going on in the U.S., which is great because that Canadian host kind of knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. All right. But then you're not even taking the time to turn it around to say, hey, what are Canadian politicians talking about this? Why aren't we talking about it? It could have said, we are. I had to squeeze it into four of the interviews. (laughs) Four. That watch Larry Maguire. Watch Larry Maguire. Watch Larry Maguire. Victor Vigiani, Nicole Sackage, you guys hold on. 
We got you for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. It's a special show tonight. Larry McGuire was in the first hour, the Member of Parliament for the Conservative Party of Canada, opening up the UAP topic. And then in hour two, we had Grant Cameron, Sean Cahill, and Victor Vigiani and Nicole Sackage. We're going to continue with them as analysts, Canada's in the UFO conversation now. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Good radio, man. Good radio. So the Ontario elections were today, correct? No, there are th- tomorrow, Thursday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. Well, t- uh, today. I, y- y- today. Yeah, you're right. Okay. It's- so I'm, I'm going to tip you off. Saga 960 is mm-hmm. uh, going to be is holding off on this show until Monday. They want a clear slate to run this show. Because okay. um, they want to go nuts on Twitter about it. They want to go nuts on their social media. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be going on with Richard, uh, with, with Norm Murray, and with uh, Mark Petroni regarding uh, talking to McGuire. And uh, so they really want to pump it up because that will hopefully, I mean, well, the Mississauga's signal bleeds into Toronto. Right. So, oh, so, yeah. So they want to try and capture as many listeners on this because this is breaking. It is breaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, they want to try and capture as many listeners as possible with this one. So um, they're going to hold off on that one. But I think it's it's going to be good because, I mean, we tweeted out a lot of people today, man. And I was watching who was doing the retweets and not a single journalist even hit the like button. Wow. Not a single journalist. Like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. What is yeah, going it's, on? Yeah, it's 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 really a tragedy. It really, really is. Uh, I, I don't. I know. I think. I, I you know, for the life of me, they're far too cautious. Far too cautious. Even even someone someone like um, Daniel Otis, uh, and I respect what he's doing, and I think it's great. Um, and enjoy uh, Melbourne. I think. Uh, <sighs> I just don't think they had the courage to stand up and, and, and have some sort of special presentation or get W5 on this or get it on the current, you know, on CBC. I just don't think these larger media outlets have the courage and tenacity to really manage this thing properly. And this goes back, I guess, to ownership, I suppose. You know, does Bell not, you know, the, the carrier, does Bell not care? Does CBC not care? Uh, what what, is, what the hell are they afraid of? I just don't understand it. I just don't. Understand. But I think there will be a time when, when it will happen. But it's just it's almost like you're you know you've got something in your grasp and you don't want to grab it because uh, you're going to have to do so so much explaining as to why you didn't do anything about this before. And you know Canadians are famous for that. You know. Um, oh yeah. Why the secrecy? Why the, why the reluctance to hold back on this issue? So uh, I, I don't know. I think I think we're just we're too cautious. I think as a culture, and maybe that's part of the well, problem. Well, I think it also has to do with the fact is, you know, a lot of journalists still think they don't want to be the the UFO journalist. They think they're going to wear a lot of egg on their face. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not everybody. Yeah. Not yeah. I mean, if somebody actually took a look at Ralph Blumenthal, here's a Pul- <laughs> here's a Pulitzer Prize winner who believes this story is going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all you need to do. Yeah. Well, I asked I asked Ralph about um, that. I interview, I didn't. I've spoken to him many times. Well, four or five times, 
and I actually interviewed him um, on, on, on my podcast. And I asked him that. I said, when all of this stuff came forward, you know, all of this new stuff came forward, uh, you know, with the, with the Pentagon Papers and, and, and all of that and the way the way the Washington Post handled it. And you're sitting in the room uh, with the with the ownership of The New York Times or the ownership of the the Washington Post. I'm not talking about journalists here and, and editors. I'm talking about ownership. And you're sitting down with your major editors and somebody's got to say, yes, we're going to go with the story. And that's what the Washington Post did with Watergate. OK, um, with the owner, uh, who was a Kathleen. Um, oh, what was her name? Catherine. Not, not, not coming to me. Um, she was the one who said, yes, let's go for it. Let's let's go with this. And they let uh, Woodward and Bernstein go with it. And it was the biggest success story uh, of, 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 of the century with respect to American politics. Uh, so somebody at that level has to make a decision. And really, there's nobody at Bell. There's nobody at uh, CTV. There's nobody at Global, Global who have the balls to, to, to make that kind of decision at this point. We're still waiting for ownership and, 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 the, and the, the publicist at, at these major corporations in Canada to really step up and say, oh, listen, let's do, let's do this. Let's do this. Oh, I agree. So, uh, maybe, you know, I agree. And they they got to get the stigma out of their head that it's a bad it's a bad thing. Yeah. It's a bad story. Yeah. I want to say a quick thank you to Thomas Times Two, Dry Toast Picks, Obi Grant Times Two, Victor Cherokee, Sally Ken, Bob and Carl for the amazing super chats tonight. Thank you to all the veterans who've tuned us on in and all our regulars. And if you're new here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, ring that bell. Here we go with the final half hour. We rounded third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I want to remind you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, Nicole Sackett, Victor Vigiani from Zeland Communications, hanging on out, analyzing our first hour of tonight's show, where we had Canadian parliamentarian Larry McGuire from the Conservative Party of Canada, a member of that party and sitting in a riding called Brandon Souris out of Manitoba, who's really opened up the UFO conversation in Canada, in the political realm of Canada. Let's get that clarified there. And uh, Victor, being from Toronto, Nicole, well, she's like half a Canadian because she hangs out with me, she hangs out with Grant Cameron, and uh, we also want to say a big thank you to Grant Cameron and Sean Cahill for coming on in Hour 2 talking about this as well. But, uh, Victor, I'm very curious... In regards to what Larry was saying, that he was very remiss in saying that we may 
have videos of UAP over Canadian nuclear energy facilities in Ontario. We know there's cameras there. We know that there that uh, Larry and, and his team recently did a tour of Canada's nuclear facilities. What would happen if those videos came out? Well, let, let's do it the opposite way. Okay, Th- think of it just for a second in the opposite way. Uh, if if they were to um, admit that, first of all. The security around our nuclear installations is, is 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 the top level. You have to, I mean, any nuclear installation, be it a, a you know a launch of, of missiles or even just an energy site, the the security around these places is is just like it, it's the top level of security that you could ever imagine. And to say that, or to even think that. Any one of these facilities, be it in New Brunswick or in Ontario or in, the one in Quebec, you know, t- to say that they do not monitor uh, what's going on around the plant on the ground and at a certain level above is absolutely silly. They are, in fact, monitoring it. So in my estimation, my assessment is they do have the videos of something that was hovering over these installations, be it, you know, at 1500 feet or, you know, 5,000 feet in the sky. We don't really know. Um, I know when, when, when planes make an approach uh, to any, any airport or even fly within Canadian airspace, they all have legal transponders. They have to have a transponder. And none of the, from what I understand, none of these, um, the, these, these craft uh, had a transponder or anything that they saw had a transponder. Now, I know that because in, in my um, Freedom of Information Act or access to information request to, to the Canadian government, I got documents that indicated that um, uh, two uh, F-18s were scrambled at a Comox Air Force Base in 2001 to chase three UAP, or as they called them, unknown tracks going out over, um, over over the prairies and they were scrambled and they reached speeds of over 600 miles an hour and still couldn't catch these things. And none of these three uh, uh, unknown tracks had any kind of transponder. So to, to, to think that what's going on over our nuclear installations is way beyond the purview of the, the videos of the security installations there is absolutely unthinkable. They do have videos and I, I'm still pushing to try to find out if these two F-18s actually caught video uh, of, of these these UFOs. Because in addition to the two F-18s that, that, that were tracking these three UFOs, um, a medical evacuation jet, an LR-35, saw these, these three UFOs visually. Okay, and then the last one of the last lines in the in the air traffic control report was CF-18s make contact at 35,000 feet. So we know that within the document, I've got the documents. It's a line by line. So I'm guessing, David, that that same thing in one way or another was captured uh, on video over our nuclear facilities. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. So if they release that. If they do, in fact, release it or it does come forward either within a committee that Larry can push forward, that will be a big deal. And if we can get those videos out, they will become the Canadian Tic Tac uh, videos. I I guarantee it. Nicole, what would it mean down south if all of a sudden UAP videos started coming out of Canada regarding this? 
Your mic's on mute. Honestly, I think it would be more fuel to the fire for possible better videos to come out, like to maybe make up for that terrible one from the cell phone that they showed at the American hearings. Like, you know, I mean, (laughs) that was was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. So Victor, you're talking about this case though, which have fighter jets involved. And I was reading the chat a little bit earlier. Um, We brought up Falcon Lake and Shag Harbor. And of course, Charlie Red Star. But what are, what are like the top, since, you know, we like top fives or top tens or top threes, you know, what are the top Canadian cases you think maybe known or, you know, in the background that people really should know about and could be game changers, you know, in this international well, arena? Can I jump in on this one, too? Yeah, you go first. I've got well, something. Go ahead. Victor, go ahead. I, want, I want to ask you a question re- regarding exactly what Nicole is saying, and mm-hmm. that is I still believe five years ago that crash onto that reserve lake in Manitoba was a UAP crash because the entire Canadian military platoon went out there to cordon off the area, and they were armed. They were armed in Jackhead, Manitoba. Do you believe that was a UFO crash, or do you believe that was a a training center or a training mission for the army at that time? I think it. I think it was a craft of unknown origin. I, I do. I believe I've, the, the reading that I've done on it convinces me that it, that it was not uh, that it was not just some sort of miscellaneous training mishap. I believe that it was a craft of unknown origin. I, I firmly believe it. I do. That would be on my list then, with mm-hmm. yeah. with Falcon yeah. obviously Falcon Lake, Shag Harbor, the Montreal Lights, the Pri- right. the Prince George Lights in mm-hmm. 1971, where it kind of lit up like the Phoenix Lights in 1997, one at a time in a boomerang shape. Uh, that was eyewitnessed by the RCMP. That report is is still available online. Oh goodness. Um, there, there's another one that I could mention, and, and I don't know. I did report this, but I don't think it ever made any kind of impact within, um, uh, uh, you know, official de- Department of Defense, uh, you know, documentation. But um, I'm trying to think back of the year that this happened, because I got a call from Barrie, Ontario, uh, from 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 a nurse. Okay, and I'll tell I'll tell you the story about it. And the nurse called me, and she was very, very upset. And they, they lived in Barrie. They both worked at Victoria Hospital in, in Barrie, Ontario, which is just north of Toronto. And they were coming home. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And they're driving along a side road in Barrie, going, going back home after their shift. And all of a sudden, the radio kind of conked out. And um, they, 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 they slowed down because one of the, the nurses who was the passenger in the car, they were driving along a concession road with large pine trees. And she looked out the window and she said, what the hell is that? And the, these pine trees are probably well, 80 to 90 feet tall. This huge rows of these things. So they, they stopped, they got out of the car and they witnessed the, a, a triangle the size of a Walmart building. Okay. Well, she, she called it. It was as big as the hospital that I work in. That's what she said. <laughs> and because, you know, Victoria Hospital is a pretty big building. And it was a triangle shape with lights in each in each vertices and with a brighter light in, in the middle. 
And they both were just scary shitless about this. They had no idea. And she was on the phone after they got home and she was crying. She was literally crying. So that to me, because I, I got a personal, a personal confirmation of what these nurses went through, I have to ask myself the question, why would a nurse call me, a nurse, a professional call me in the middle of the night that I don't know? I have no idea who she was or who she is. I forget her name. Um, I do have written down someplace. But why would they call me and report an event like that? And that event never got publicized. I tried to. I tried to report it, but it never got any kind of investigation um, at all. So that, that would be my personal number one in addition to, you know, th- things like Shag Harbor and Falcon Lake and the others. I think there's a couple but, more. There's a couple more, Nicole. Uh, there is the famous case from Cowichan Valley Hospital on Vancouver Island in the early 1970s, where a UFO was literally hovering right beside the hospital, and a nurse actually walked up to a window as she walked into the patient's room, wondering why there was lights on in there, and looked out the window to see two beings in helmets actually fumbling and bumbling their way to get this craft out of there. And it was witnessed by another couple doctors and nurses as well. That case was very, very intriguing, as well wow. as as well as the case of uh, Karina Sables. Do you know this case, Victor? She, no, I, she, no, she's this, from, no, I did not know this. One. She is hmm. from Aldergrove, British Columbia. She has been on numerous television shows. She's been on this show, and she is an experiencer. Uh, she she felt the need to go outside one night, saw a big black triangle. Her boyfriend saw it at the time. He got scared, walked back into the house. She ended up having missing time. And since Uh then, and this is going on almost 30 years now, since then, she has literally had multiple abductions happening almost a couple times a week. Her children had that happening. Now her grandchildren have it happening. And it's all grays, and it all started with a giant black triangle over Aldergrove, British Columbia. And if for people looking on a map, Aldergrove is literally, if you go to the southern part of Aldergrove, it is, it is right along the border of uh, Sumas, Washington. And well, um, here, that that brings this up for me, which I'm loving that you guys are bringing up triangle stories here because, you know, I'm going to go like this and hold up me and Grant's book. <laughs> and it was actually making me think of um, speaking with so many triangle witnesses around the, the Hudson Valley. And I know there were cases that crossed into Canada from that it flap. And I know Grant's Charlie Red Star, you know, was over that border. And you just brought this up with being on the border with Washington. How many, I mean, are those the game changer cases in this? Like those ones that the U.S. and Canada share? Because I know, um, I know Charlie Red Star, like the the U.S. side of it is Nebraska. No, which one? But North, there's North, all the North missile Dakota. silos North, North and the nuclear tie-in. Same thing with the Hudson Valley. There's you know important aspects there, and of course our defense. You know, but yeah. So are those the game changer cases then that could come forward or? 
Well, I think eventually, Nicole, uh, what's going to happen is all of the cases that we're speaking about right now, be they formally reported cases or some of the ones that I've received from my um, mm -hmm. access to information uh, and all the ones that are in Transport Canada and in Library and Archives Canada, there's 9,500 UFO reports there that no one knew about uh, before I made it known. I believe it was in 1995. I, I did a press release on it and people just... I mean, it's been there for years. Those reports, those 9,500 were there for years, but no one really paid any attention to them. So I would I would hope that Larry takes the initiative to go to Library and Archives Canada and look at those 9,500 files. And there's letters there from ministers of defense. Uh, there's letters there from you know civilians to all kinds of um, you know military people asking questions about UFOs. So there's a huge amount of documentation, informal documentation and formal, and it's all been declassified. It's all there for you to read, but it's pretty boring reading. You know and that's one of the reasons why this doesn't get highlighted. It's like reading the telephone book. It's you know it's one thing <laughs> after another. You know it's not really exciting stuff. But if Larry can get some of this, some of these nine thousand five hundred files out there and get them on, on the table of a committee, I mean, they could spend, you know, months uh, analyzing these things and, and asking questions and posing the really good questions uh, on the floor of the House of Commons. So um, the best cases are great, but then the plethora of, of individual uh, cases that are there is more than enough for the United States uh, to look at us and say, boy, why don't you guys wake up and do more with the files that you've already got rather than depending on Roswell and, and other U.S. situations, you know? So Larry's going to have some work to do if he wants to really dig deep on this. Oh, I, that I was, agree. That was my plethora. I was like, plethora, I heard it. That is the word of the show, plethora, mm. every you know, night. Victor, I'm going to argue with you, though, that those documents and things really aren't that boring. There are nerds out there like me that dig through the Stanton Friedman files. And I'm it's old. like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, no, it's my dear. boring, but it's so good. Like, No, you're, you're right. I, I'm being, I'm being facetious when I say that because I've done it. I, I've sat there when I first discovered these 9,500 files. I said, holy smoke. And I started digging through them. And they're all right there. There's, you know. <laughs> no, just the number alone. I'm like, yeah. You go and you start reading them. And it's got, you know, uh, you know, Aunt, Aunt Martha and Uncle Frank are sitting on their front porch in, in some, you know, t town in, in Quebec. And they see a light. And, you know, Martha says, what's that? And then they, they call the police. And it becomes a, a report. I mean, if you keep on reading that over and over again, it gets a little tedious. But in fact, um, they're never really investigated. Okay. And they never really kind of um, receive the attention that, for example, you know, the, the, the Montreal Hotel sighting does or, or that the Falcon Lake receives or that the Shag Harbor receives. So, I mean, but, but, it, it, but it's, in the it's in the granular aspects of all of these sightings that builds this puzzle that, that David alluded to earlier. And if we, can, yeah. if we can get those things out into the open and say, okay, each individual case may not be important, but as a collective whole, they provide uh, Canadians with the, the real possibility of understanding that Canada has has a has a real history about this, and that we have to move forward with an understanding. So, as boring as those things might be, 
uh, it, it's important that Canadians understand that that is already there. And we have just as much information as the United States have, uh, you know, in, in sort of a, a, a relative quantitative, quantitative way. We have just as much in a percentage as the United States does, but we just don't talk about it as often as we really, really should. It comes down I think to the, Go ahead, Nicole. I think the boring is what's sort of unifying with this, though. You know, when you go mm. through those archives and large da- databases like that, like I'm thinking of all the searches I did for green <laughs> fireballs <laughs> over 15 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, first of all, it's humbling because you're like, oh, not that special after all, like, you know, oh, yep, definitely not just some chosen yeah. special thing going on. Mm-hmm. So you move through all that. And I think more people that even don't have their own sighting once, like you said, you read kind of the same things over and over again. And then you hear the people like I call the 45ers, the 35ers who have been at this for decades that's where they start seeing the patterns in the stories. And there's your data. That's what, you know, unifies all of us and the community at large and the general population into going, um, maybe this isn't so weird. You know, maybe this levels the playing field and more people can accept that this has happened to them. You know, they've seen a light in the sky too. You know, they've experienced this hitchhiker effect from their woo friend. (laughs) Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of scenarios at play. But I do think that raw data, I love talking about Cheryl and Linda's pink book. You know, I mean, come on, it's a great book, but it's pretty boring. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's the most boring, exciting book out there yeah. <laughs> like well i have your viewers probably can't see it i have a hundred and 115 pages of of this kind of stuff okay and it's mm-hmm. part of the uh freedom of information request access to information request that i did um back in 2010 and um and it's just pages and pages and pages and i and i go through it and i look at an air traffic control report that actually cites um Vladimir Putin's name, who's in a jet uh, over Canada, and the report is that the that they that they that the pilots actually tracked a UFO near the jet that Vladimir Putin was in before he, you know his name was mentioned in the air wow. traffic control report. So you know why is that not a big piece of information? I mean, I, I don't want to you know cite his name right now in this in the current context, but that's right. the kind of thing that could be a game changer. And there's so many of these files that are sitting around. And you know when I received this package, for, and I went to Ottawa, and I the guy handed it to me over the desk all of these files, and <laughs> I came home and I sat through it, and then I went through the the Library and Archives Canada uh, set of documents. I realized that my goodness, I could spend the rest of my career reading each one of these files. Very and true. Maybe that's part. That's 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 part of that's part of the problem. You know, there's just so much out there, but we have to organize it and and look at it as a collective, uh, cohesive whole in order in order for it to make sense. Victor Vigiani from Zeland Communications, Nicole Sackage from Spaced Out Radio, author and researcher. 
Thank you so much on sticking around for hour number three, analyzing hour number one tonight, Member of Parliament Larry McGuire and his quest to bring the UAP conversation into Canada's House of Commons. Historic conversation indeed. And it's going to be amazing to see it continue. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo Train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.